Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 602 of Long Box Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good. We didn't get a chance to talk about it on uh, After Dark, or we won't get a chance to talk about it on After Dark. Uh, but how about this uh, lousy Smaperl weather? Smaperl. Don't touch Willie. Good idea. Um, good but advice. Yeah, it's crazy. Did you have anything at your house? We did. Uh, it, we did have snow early in the morning uh, as we record, but it was mostly melted by like 3.30. See, here at my house, all there was was a light frosting on the grass. Oh, really? And on the, like the roof of my truck and on the windshield. Like I went out and I put the windshield wipers on. There wasn't an ounce of snow on anything, concrete, blacktop, or street, anywhere for blocks around here or for miles around here. That's, and I know, and of course our good buddy DJ lives up in the Hills. So he got like six feet of snow. Well, that's his choice. So. So what do we got on the show today, sir? Well, in news, a certain company is fixing a printing problem in an old collection. Boy, that seems strange. Uh, video game codes. I hope it's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. But if it's not, I won't understand it. Our Patreon apparently raises the cover price of a certain something. Um, <laughs> a Comic-Con exclusive, as predicted by us, might not be what you think. Conventions. And... In a rare instance, one of our favorite creators, Kyle Stark, has a new project coming up, coming up, and he was nice enough to let us talk about that, among other things. So that'll be interesting. What we read last week, which was The Ghost in You, a Reckless Hardcover by uh, Ed Brubaker. What we're looking forward to this week, Todd and Joe Have Issues, a.k.a. The Silver Standard of Rogues Galleries. And at the end, we have spoiler-filled talk of Moon, the latest episode of Moon Knight and the latest Doctor Who special. We have a full show today, Joe. We do. So it'll be very interesting to see how all of this rolls together. I'm excited. Uh, I'm ready to get down to business as we uh, are want to do. Right. Short show. But go ahead. Oh, well, not for, the, not for the listeners, it won't be. No, for us, it will be. We'll be <laughs> yes. putting our feet up during the interview time. Uh, so we talked about it when it was announced about a month or so ago that, uh, Marvel is doing a Fortnite comic, not unlike DC did a Fortnite comic, uh, last year. Uh, it is being co-something, uh, by Donald Mustard, who's like the man behind Fortnite. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's the same writer that did the DC one that did the Marvel one as well. Right. Uh, whose name escapes me. Christos right. Gage. Christos Gage. Yes. As I'm just scrolling down here a little bit. Um, and it's the same um, rollout. And it, so the last time they just said that there was going to be exclusive content. And I think everyone getting it expected uh, it was going to be like outfits for each one. But it's going to be the same thing as it was last time where the first one is an outfit. The next one is a wrap whatever that is, mm -hmm. a pickaxe the following week, a spray, whatever that is, a loading screen, which I understand, and then when you redeem all five codes, you get the sixth additional outfit as well. Right. Uh, so what they're doing this time uh, is, of course, if you get the book, you get those codes, you get to do the whatever, 
But I guess they're also rolling something out uh, to the comic store owners uh, that for a limited time that the codes are going to be available to be purchased um, from comic store owners before you could purchase these items in game. Oh, that's cool. Yes. So it's like an ever fluctuating thing of how uh, Fortnite is integrating in with comics and attempting to pull new people in. And, you know, my kid goes through phases of this game. You know, like whenever there's a new update, he freaks out, ready to play. He plays hot and heavy for like a week, mm-hmm. but then he's back to something else. You know, right. um, I, I say he's overstimulated. But if you're a Fortnite person, the book comes out uh, in the middle of July. Uh, you have plenty of time to contact your local retailer. Mm-hmm. Or find a retailer in your area to pre-order this so that you're not commenting on social media the Sunday before this book comes out and says, I've been caught with my pants down again. Right. <laughs> my five-year-old loves Iron Man, and he reads all the Iron Man comics, and he'd be upset if I didn't get this <laughs> Iron Man comic that just also happens to have Fortnite paraphernalia in it, you know? <laughs> yep. Oh. But I'll be getting these for my kid. Uh, it'll spark his interest uh, in Fortnite again. He's been playing the new Pokemon game a lot. Right. You know, I don't that, play these games. Are you going to make him read the comics again? Uh, I'm going to make him read the comics, but that was, like, not motivation. Um, by the time, like, the third or fourth issue came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. Gotcha. Yeah. I still have, I did, like, all the variant covers on them, too, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think it said, like, the codes are good for, like, ten years. And I haven't looked to see what they're selling for in the secondary market, but I got to get on that for that opportunity to see if that still hits with the DC ones, you know? Right. But do, are the codes still work, or? Yes. it's. I think it said in the book that the codes are good for, like, ten years. Right. But is it one of those things that once your son used the code, it's no good anymore? No, no, no. So he he got his own copies, and then I had uh, speculator copies of the variant oh, covers. Gotcha. I see what you're saying now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a little confused. Right. It's one of those things where it's like a, it's a full sealed set with the codes. It's the variant covers that are a little bit harder to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how that goes. Right. I know a guy who could who could flip those for you. But anyway. Yeah. I could flip them myself. I'm just I know. a little lazy. Uh, so we talked last week uh, in regards to some comic con- book conventions, uh, particularly Fan Expo, particularly the Rob's disdain for Fan <laughs> Expo. Nobody shook his cage today, did they, Joe? No, no. I think well, I forget what the Rob was talking about recently on social media, but it's it wasn't uh, show worthy or, um, you know, segment worthy, if you will. Gotcha. But we had actually talked uh, weeks ago. When San Diego was saying that they were looking to start, like, franchising out the San Diego Comic-Con name, mm-hmm. uh, that we were like, oh, well, the real test is going to be uh, when these different arms, whether it be, like, your fan expos, uh, your San Diego's, your et cetera, start mm-hmm. signing specific creators to deals that if you want to see X creator, you got to come to Y convention, And it was just announced that Frank Miller has a three-year deal with Fan Expo with the caveat that he could still do San Diego and New York. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. He's got those two big. He's got the George Perez all, all exclusive. But I, if JLA Avengers comes up, I get to draw that. Right. Uh, so this is the beginning of it. You know, oh. I, I could see eventually um, it's going to limit him from doing New York and San Diego. Or, you know, there's going to be a lot more caveats. Uh, you're going to see a lot more creators, I think, signing to exclusive whatevers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see who and what signs up for these sort of things here in the near future. Like I said, I think this is just going to be the first of many, uh, as we're going to get to a little bit later on uh, when we talk about conventions that are happening this weekend. Right. Are we throwing our hat in the John, our John Cena hat in the ring and say we'll be an exclusive to any Comic-Con, if, you know, if they want to sign us? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I will sign a in-perpetuity contract uh, <laughs> for lifetime rights on Todd's behalf. <laughs> okay. Uh, with a minimum of two years before we see any payout from said contract. Okay. I have a feeling there's a story behind that, but I ain't eh. asking. Listen, this is like one. Uh, this is going to be one of those ones that maybe two people get. This might be a maybe twofer. Right, but it's not one of the two guys doing this show. No, well, it's one of the guys doing the show. The yeah, other but one not the other. Don't be reference, right? Right. Uh, so uh, also in changes and exclusivity, uh, for the first time in seven years, Diamond is increasing the price of their previews catalog. Right now, and it's going up from four dollars to five dollars. But I'll say this. I don't know if you have a good comic book shop, you shouldn't be paying anything for previews. That is true. I will say the price hype is, hike is probably from the Longbox Heroes bump. I'll say right. That. It's because we started this market to try to buy up old issues. Somebody at Diamond said, "Oh, our things are worth money." Then they found out that only the old ones are worth money. <laughs> and there you go. That's what happens when we when we email them for PDFs of old previews. <laughs> right. And, you know, and it's very strange because I didn't realize that IDW was currently on their way out of the Diamond previews as well. Um, They're still there, but uh, because I, I just noticed that I just did my previews order <clears throat> for this month yesterday. And I was mm-hmm. like, where's IDW in the front? And like, they're in the middle now. Like, I wonder yeah. if they're not paying that that premium. But you heard that they're leaving, leaving? That's what uh, the article here says. I didn't um, get that far. Uh, well, it's the third line <laughs> of the article, Todd. Right. Um, <laughs> so Marvel, of course, has their own separate deal. Mm-hmm. Um, DC has, you know, the Lunar one. And there's still some of the stuff that they, um, that Lunar does, like some of the independent publishers that Lunar does that are still in the Diamond catalog. Mm-hmm. I'm sure eventually those things are going to be in not a DC exclusive lunar catalog. It's going to be an exclusive lunar catalog featuring DC comics and everything else that we have as more and more things go to lunar and possibly become lunar exclusives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just says like with Marvel having their own separate DC, having their own separate and IDW on its way out the door. Right. Uh, so I didn't know that uh, IDW was going to be doing their own thing, but it's going to be interesting. Like now it's going to be like a fourth catalog that I have to get every end of the month when the previews all come out, you know? That's right. You wouldn't want to miss any of those Doctor Who comics, Joe. 
Uh, you know, I was I double check everything in advance. Like uh, as we record, uh, DC is out, and a lot of the smaller publishers solicitations are out for July, right? I just realized Doctor Who's a Titan, but anyway, go I, ahead. We, I get what you're saying though. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of the week, everything will be out, and then the full catalog or the full the full uh order form will be on Diamond site, right? Mm-hmm. And by that point, I don't really even need like all the ancillary previews. A lot of times when I go to our local shop, I just get the big one. I don't even get the Marvel or the DC one because there's no questions, right? I, I know what I'm getting out of those. I like to get the big previews just so I could double check the green section if there's anything I missed. Right. Um, and I like to go through the merchandise just to see if there's like any like new, weird, funky stuff that pops up in there. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm I'm a little different from you because I do like the uh, the physical copies. Um, I could do the digital, like because I when the previews come out, I do go over them. I I'm like, oh, is there? What am I after? But <clears throat> then when I'm doing my order, I'll be at the at work or whatever. I'll be like, all right, I have the physical copy. Let me cut. Let me write down in my note app, and so I could cut and paste and send it off. But uh, I I I just I'm getting. Nervous because I like with 75 different things, like it just seems like it's becoming more work to order my comics. But uh, I, I am a sucker for the big previews, like, same for you. I go through it a little more than you, probably, because I like to find every once in a while, I'll find a little like weird something that'll grab me in the green section, be like, oh, this comic is has an interesting premise or something, and I'll grab it. But I'm a you know, diehard, you know previews fan i love scanning that previews the for the, the the day it comes in i'll sit at the shop and sit at the desk and be just like what do i want what do i want and then be like boom whoo easy month for me or oh it's gonna be you know my wallet's taking a hit this month but looking forward to it but like you said we get ours you know at a little discount right exactly so uh i i wonder how this will affect things if they're gonna add extra stuff to necessitate that price hike or how that's all going to work, you know? Right. They're probably trying to push it digitally. So, cause you can read them digitally too. So the whole, the big so, previews. So that's the thing about the digital version too, right? There's a code that you have to redeem, but then it works really weird. Like if you don't sign up for a diamond account, right. Then you can't, even if you redeem the code, you can't read the whole thing digitally online. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's very interesting. I'm not really sure what's going on, you know? Right. But anyway, if you're buying your diamond uh, catalog, be ready. Not this month, but next month for that big dollar price hike. Mm-hmm. Now, lastly, but not leastly in the news, it wasn't so much as a news item, but it was just something ist- interesting because uh, one of the things that we typically cover on the show is, sadly, because it happens more often than not, is... DC will do a printing of something, and the printing will be messed up. Uh, Dialogue will be missing. It'll be misaligned. There'll be a million different things that could possibly happen, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I subscribe to a bunch of the different email newsletters, Substack or notwithstanding, for a lot of the big-name creators that uh, Todd and I are fans of. And just last week, out of the Ed Brubaker one, he had this missive in his email thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, my old friend Marie J- uh, Javanis is the new editor-in-chief at DC Comics. 
So when I found out that they were doing a new printing of Gotham, the Gotham Central Omnibus, I asked her if we could correct the minor errors of the previous reissues. Uh, since Marie is the best, she let me and Greg Rucka and Michael Lark proof the new book, and we now finally have the definitive hardback. Uh, included are the missing layers of snow from the first chapter of our Big Joker story. Uh, the book was done back in the olden days, and Michael had made an actual separate layer for the falling snow. And while it printed in the single issues, which is what I have, uh, <laughs> it somehow got left out of all the trades and hardbacks until now. Uh, also, a few lettering mistakes were fixed, uh, and a joke that we couldn't get past the censors back then has been added back because it's 20 years later. Uh, seriously, as a total control freak about my books, it drove me crazy for years that there's a scene where a driver is commenting on the snowfall and even holding out a hand to feel it, and there was no snow. Now that this is fixed, I am a happy camper. Right. Uh, so it's crazy, uh, you know, just to kind of like that peek into the process. One, of how Michael Lark originally did the art on it, that he did like a separate layer for the snow one that got through in the single issues, but none of the previous collected editions had them. Right. And the fact that Brubaker has enough clout in this business that he could just buzz the current editor in chief of DC comics and say, Hey, before you go and do a new printing of this book that I did 20 years ago or however long it's been. Right. Mm -hmm. It's been less than 20 years, but you get me. Yeah. Uh, can me and the crew proofread it and fix all the mistakes you guys are going to make before you make them? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and she says, yeah, sure. Um, see, now I'm going to go part that he has the clout because he is Ed Brubaker. Yeah. Yes. But I think part of it is the line in there, my old friend, you know what I mean? Sure. Makes it a little easier. It would be like, oh, you know what, Joe? You're the editor-in-chief of Longbox Heroes. Um, there was a mistake that I want to edit out. Can we look into that? Like, at least I'd have your number. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to go through the, I don't have to go through the switchboard to get to Joe, you know? So Touché. that's that that's interesting, you know. Um, I have a feeling like if it was somebody else who never had met her, and even if it was still like I'm trying to think of a big name like Alan Moore or whatever, it'd be like, yeah, we're not, you know, don't put him through, you know, whatever. Don't let Mabel put him through, kind of deal. <laughs> but <laughs> so, but the other thing that I take from this, I think this is all cool, good for him. I hope they don't screw it up down the line somewhere after all this proofing. Yes, but. The thing that actually makes me interested is I didn't realize that he was friends with the new editor-in-chief. What are the odds that you see Eddie doing a project at some point for DC? I'm not talking about an ongoing book, maybe a one-shot or a story, or maybe, you know, when they do those big 999 anthologies like Detective 1000 or Anniversary books, that there's a, there's a new Ed Brubaker story in one of those. Uh, you know, I could definitely see that happening. Like, hey, I let you fix my book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about you? You you write me a like nice little eight page uh, uh Harvey Bullock thing, you know? Right. Or have you ever had a story like any character at DC you you wanted to do? You know what I mean? Sure. And, and he could just be like, yeah, I could do a one shot. You know what I mean? I got time between my recklesses. You know. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought that was very interesting. You know, I, I like to see uh, the creators that I like still being friendly with the people in high places, you know? 
And I hope it's a turnaround for DC, to tell you the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like, didn't like, they just recently announce they're doing an omnibus of the uh, Pete Tomasi uh, Batman and Robin run, which was, you know, very underrated. Yeah. Uh, followed the Grant Morrison one, so I think it gets overlooked because of that. But it's very right. underrated. And the fact that it's getting a uh, omnibus treatment, I think, speaks uh, volumes for that right. volume. And in the article, I think they did specify what mistakes were going to be in this omnibus. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, like like the uh, previews one, I didn't get past the third line. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> now, we were talking about conventions before, of course, um, you know, with Fan Expo and everything else like that. And when I was going through my notes and, you know, obviously I talked before now, you know, two years ago, there were no conventions. Stuff started slowly and surely coming back and then they went away. Uh, but this weekend, there is there was no less than 15 conventions that had name people at them. Right. And I can't sit here and name them all. Right. Mm -hmm. I can only name like I can only name the best of the best or the ones that like when there is a ton of them, I got to like filter some stuff out, you know. We can't be a, we can't be a podcast that just reads the guest list of every convention that's going on in the United States. I even in, eliminated the international ones, you know. Right. Uh, but like I said, it's a busy weekend uh, for conventions. Uh, see, there's San Diego Comic Fest. Not to be confused with San Diego Comic Con. Mm -hmm. uh, so Peter David and Dustin Nguyen, uh, currently of Little Monsters with uh, Jeff Lemire, amongst many other things. Uh, are the featured guests there uh, in Livonia, Michigan is Astronomicon 5. Uh, less a comic book convention, but this is going to be my one big heavy wrestling uh, dump. You know, not only is Judge Reinhold going to be there, Ooh. Uh, but uh, Sean Waltman, uh, two-time World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Famer. And has the best worker handshake in the biz. The Godfather is going to be there. I hope he does the double photo op, Joe. I think you know what, and it's a it's a it's a multiple multiple day convention. Uh, he'd have to do it over multiple days, and I would almost guarantee that he probably would. I'm hitting all the bits. Go ahead. Uh, Rick and Scott Steiner are going to be there. Not uh, the the writer of uh, Noctera currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Housen is going to be there, uh, the modern-day gobbledygooker. Oof, okay. And uh, Supper Shredder himself, Kevin Nash, is going to be there, who uh, apparently is in the news uh, today. Oh, is he? Is it good or bad? Uh, well, when, listen, when you're Kevin Nash, the news is always good. Yeah, there you go. Has anybody alerted uh, a certain bore uh, that you can go? Uh, no, I think Livonia is too far of a trek for him to, uh, to leave the abode, you know? Right. Uh, also this weekend is, uh, Calgary Expo, uh, Fan Expo's, you know, their deal. Uh, tons of folks are going to be there at this one. Uh, Brian Stelfreeze, Mitch Gerards, Mike Grell, Tom Grummet, Mike McCone on your artist side, on your media guest, William Shatner, Carl Weathers, Michael Rooker, Robert England, uh, John Cleese is going to be there, and the, uh, Clerks 3 crew is going to be there in full force. Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, Jeff Anderson, Brian O'Halloran, and Trevor Fairman. Right. Who played like the kid that nobody liked in Clerks 2. The movie wow. no one liked. Wow. That's right. It's a double punch. <laughs> um, so that means uh, the 
Chuli's gum guy and the two and Gallagher one and Gallagher two of ooh Navy SEALs will have to go elsewhere this weekend. Right, right. Is that all the cons, Joe? No, there's one more. Okay, because uh, I have week. one to to add. Oh, I, you have okay. one more to add even on top of this. So you do your one more to add because the one that I have to say leads into our next uh, segment. Fair enough. I'm glad I got you in time because I didn't add this to your notes because for the most part, it just takes you to a Facebook page. And I know. How oh, much, great. I know how much you love those. But this week is, weekend is Comic Art Con, which is only an exclusive comic art uh, convention. There's no comic books, no toys that I know of. It's just dealers and 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 people who sell and trade original comic art and other stuff. And it is Saturday, April 23rd at the La Quinta Inn and Suites in uh, Wyndham, Secaucus, New Jersey, uh, which is the hotel we stay at when we go to the New York Comic Con. So it's, I know exactly where it's at. Um, But only the 23rd, I really wanted to go to this. And if you listen to After Dark, if this was, if the Jack White concert was during this day, this is where I would have been all morning. (laughs) Now, I don't mean to poo-poo on you on this one. Yes. But as you mentioned, um, and again, this may have even changed between this morning and right now. Um, when I go to the Facebook page for it, it says there's a big line through it, and it says this event has been canceled. Uh-oh. It says you cannot share this event, but you can still post. Um, and then as of March 3rd, it says they have canceled this event. No, on the Facebook page that I'm on, it's it says April 14th. We are back and better than ever. Comic Art Con returns 2020, Saturday, April 23rd. You send me your link and we'll compare notes because, like I said, because um, there's two of them that are showing up here. Okay. There's one that says Comic Art Con April 2022 right in the subject line, and there's Comic Art Con. Okay. You know what? Oh, so you know what? Here's what I think it is. So the original gimmick was two days, mm-hmm. and this is now just one day. Yes, that did happen. Aha, uh-huh. so that's what, okay, so that's your cancellation. hmm Okay. Look at you, doing a journalism. I'm trying to do a journalism, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right, that'll get added in the notes. Uh, beautiful Secaucus. Swing by the WWOR uh, studios <laughs> and see if you can pick up some old Richard Bay tapes from me and Mantis. Right. If you can get a Snapple for me too while you're there. Uh, last but not least, uh, this weekend in Kansas City, Missouri is Planet Comic Con. Uh, no media guests, strictly just comic book folks, which is the way I like it. And uh, there's some big guns at this one. Uh, Jason Aaron, Cullen Bunn, uh, Chris Burnham, Garth Ennis, Phil Hester, John Romita Jr., uh, James Tinney and the Fourth. Um, now, if you go, if you're at this convention, friend of the show, listener of the show, uh, David Church is going to be there as one of the convention volunteers. Uh, so, I don't know, go seek him out. Tell him we sent you. Tell him we said Hi. Uh, tell him he's doing good work volunteering at one of, I would say, the more up-and-coming cons uh, in the United States. Yes. Uh, but uh, the other two guests that I left off here uh, would be the art team, or the creative team, rather, of Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, which is Chris Schweizer Ooh. and Kyle Starks. 
um, who we had the opportunity to sit down and interview last week. And now it's time for you all to hear that interview. Well, everyone, it's very rare that this happens, but uh, Todd and I have a special guest on the show. Uh, You may know him as the writer and artist of such books as Legend of Ricky Thunder, Sex Castle, Kill Them All, and the writer of Old Head, Rock Candy Mountain, Assassination Nation, Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, Rick and Morty, Mars Attacks, and the upcoming from Image Skybound, I Hate This Place, uh, as they call him over on War Rocket Ajax from time to time, Hollywood Kyle Starks. <laughs> the, the franchise Hollywood Kyle oh, Starks. The franchise Hollywood? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, thanks uh, for having know, me on here. Yes, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know it's crunch time uh, with the final order cutoffs uh, for the new book. And before we started recording, uh, I, I, you know, we were like, oh, we're going to try not to slather you up too much. But obviously we had you on the show and so forth. But uh, I will get it out of the way right now. We always talk on the show that there's certain creators. We know they have a new project coming out. And it's more or less like, you know what? I don't need to read the solicitation. Just tell me the day it comes out and how much it costs and I'll be there. Right. And that's people like a Brian K. Vaughn, a mm. Jason Aaron. Mm-hmm. And you, dude, that's very, very kind and very generous. Yes. Yep. yep. I'd say uh, the Mount Rushmore would be you, those three, and then Ed Brubaker. Those are there pretty much the ones. Uh, you know? Jesus Christ. That's mm-hmm. a right. rarefied name, my guys. But moly. you're so different, though, because you, I would say, primarily is known as a humor writer, whether you have like your TV tropes or your Western tropes. Or a little bit of horror tropes. The new book, which you were, you know, we did get a, ch- a chance to read it before we talked. It doesn't come out until I think May 18th, I think. May 18th. Um, final order cutoff is uh, April 25th, which is important for this one. I think if you want the, if you want a special dirty title, uh, <laughs> the original dirty title, then you'll definitely want to pre-order it. So now uh, I'll, yeah. I'll say this, um, you know, I, you know, there was a time where there were books that we were like, oh, we're going to double dip and. You know, I'll get this. I'll get the single issues. I'll get the trade paperback and the hardcover, and maybe even sometimes the digital editions. Yeah. And you know, having a mortgage and a kid and all those <laughs> things kind of cuts into this. Sure. This is this is one where I'm getting both covers. I yeah, me too. Me too. But I don't I have it. a wife and kid like this guy. <laughs> I, I'm a freewheeling bachelor, so I, all my drinking money's going into this comic. Getting. Uh, I'm getting a. Uh... Uh, like you're buying me a beer, basically. That's what's happening. Yep. yep. So, I love you it. know, obviously, and people are going to want, like, we're sitting here, we're talking final order cutoff. This just means go to your retailer if you have a retailer and tell them, I want this book, essentially. Yeah. I mean, so uh, the way that comics work isn't like going to the grocery where you go and you buy an apple, you know. Um, they have to sort of, comic places have to guess uh, how many copies you get of a book. And when there's multiple versions which in this case it's the same book they're just two different titles and i'm sure we'll talk about why there's two different titles uh at some point uh they don't know what to do if you want one of those things specifically you have to tell you just have to tell them that's the way it works um that way you definitely get a copy of the book it makes the publishers real happy it makes the retailers real happy and everyone's happy you get the book everyone's happy it's a whole happy situation Mm -hmm. 
Now, our retailer does do as good as a job as you can, but you can never reach everyone. Uh, by getting stuff out on social media of something is like, hey, this is a book that I think people should be aware of. But, you know, he there's times where you only order so much of like, let's say, the new Fortnite crossover book. And then two days later, people are just now finding out about it. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Obviously, Fortnite is a different level than this book. But I would say your Rick and Morty stuff is like. On the level of Fortnite, isn't Rick and Morty characters in Fortnite? Yeah, Rick, Rick, Rick and Morty are in it, for sure. <laughs> are, are you saying that you're... I think Rick is. No, they both are. They, they oh, for they sure both, both are. are. Yeah, they for sure both are. I might now, I might know a thing or two about Fortnite. I'm, <laughs> I, got, I got children. I'm a 45-year-old man that maybe plays Fortnite with other comic pros. <laughs> <laughs> Well, more. I'll say this, more power to you. I'm a 45-year-old man almost, and I've got kids, and he plays Fortnite, and I watch him, and there was a period of time where I fell out of video games, and I just can't figure out Fortnite. Like, the, the two sticks to move and control, like, my mind oh. just isn't programmed that way. Yeah. And, yeah, and my video games, I only play two, and those are Red Dead Redemptions and Grand Theft Autos, and there hasn't been any new ones lately, so. That's two good ones, though. Yep. But I'm glad that you're getting some downtime because you are busy. If you're putzing around on Fortnite, are you getting like any other leisure time in? Like, what are you watching? Like, have you, have you seen any good movies lately? Uh, I, man, I feel like I'm, the thing is, like, I'm always consuming. I'm always consuming. Um, it's just how I've always been. Like, I, I, anything that's hot, I watch. I definitely like. I just watched. Um, man, there's a bunch of good stuff. Peacemaker was great. Uh, Reacher, I thought it was a, a ton of a Peacemaker and Reacher were both very Kyle Stark shows. Mm -hmm. um, they were both kind of big and dumb and over the top, but also like there's a lot of anti toxic masculinity and like nice undertones that I really enjoyed. Um, I'm watching. Uh, I just finished the Pirate Show. Um, just about done with the Lakers show. I watch everything, <laughs> uh, especially when if I'm drawing. There's just you just leave, you just have something like you look for something that you, will last long enough, you know, so you can just let it play while you're working. Uh, when I'm drawing, when I'm writing, it's different. I, I can't really have any distractions. Um, but yeah, I'm I I can't like I'm I'm renting movies from the library. I can't think what I got. I feel like I've seen some good stuff, but when there's when there's so much of it, it's just tough to keep track of it. So you mentioned the writing versus the drawing, and obviously you've been doing a lot more writing lately as opposed to the writing and drawing is that a conscious effort so that you have like maybe is it a deadline thing is it a concentration thing or is it it's, just a thing of like that's what you're getting hired for it's like hey we got a project we got an artist we want you to write it or your idea doesn't fit like your artistic style that kind of all of them so i mean my my preference there's so many variables but i think if you're going to look at my work like the more desirable half is my writing that's it's clearly the better part um it's what other people can use no one has ever hired me to draw something no one has i mean i've been asked i've never been professionally asked to draw anything and i get that uh it's it's not it's not direct market friendly per se um so whenever i'm asked to do something like skybound skybound has never even asked me to do a variant cover for one of my books <laughs> um like i get it i I know what I'm better at. Uh, I just really enjoy when it's me doing all of it. It's it's a more pleasurable experience. It's easier and 
more seamless and I have more control. So like, um, like, so I'm, I'm writing, uh, I hate this place right now. Um, I'm writing a horror comedy series for another publisher. Uh, and they, they wanted me to, I think they thought I wanted to draw it, but it's like, I, I didn't want to draw it because I knew I wouldn't do it service. So there's a fair amount of that of, of me, like the book I did with Chris Weitzer, the, one of the two six sidekicks, like I knew Chris would kill it. And it, it was, we kind of came to it together. Um, but yeah, I, I, I try to, I try to have some regular writing stuff going on. Um, but I try, I might, my preference would be to draw something once a year uh, or once every, what, 18 months or whatever. It's just because it, it, it's like, that's my happy spot. That's my where I'm happiest in comics. Now, the so not getting a chance to draw your own stuff, do you get to scratch that itch with the sticker club and everything else from the Patreon? Yeah, I mean, I, I still get to draw stuff. You know, you know, when you draw, it's funny, like drawing is, is not as much fun as uh, drawing. Um, like I love drawing comics. I love sequential storytelling. I love the grid. Uh, but man, like I, I don't want to. I, I, like, I do a lot of commissions, and I I I love it. And I love drawing the stickers. It's like someone's like, hey, I got uh, I got a whole day to do whatever I want. I don't think I would draw for free. Is one of them. Um, but that comes and goes too. So I I I do art. I'm constantly doing art. Uh, but it's not the same as drawing a comic book. Com just making a comic book to me is just. Like I said, it's my happy spot, and, and I forget about it. I think prior to Old Head, which I wrapped up the end of 2019, I think, and I hadn't drawn anything for two years, and I was kind of miserable. Uh, and I did it, and I was like, man, I forgot how much I love it. The same thing happened with the pandemic. I did a free comic I gave away called Karate Prom, and I was like, man, it made me, it just made me so happy. Uh, and I forget because my writing is so much more in demand. Uh, from publishers and you know stores, really what sell what sells um, that I forget. So it's always great to come back to comics. Uh, do I want to just draw for fun? The answer is probably no. <laughs> right. <laughs> I uh, I did meet you once at a Philadelphia con. Um, and I know you weren't a big fan of Philly because it was a Pepsi town, I believe it was, and you were having. <laughs> It is a Pepsi town. <laughs> yep, you were having a problem getting Coke Zero, I believe. Was that it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. you know, it's harder than it's 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 harder than what you'd think to get a Coke Zero sometimes. Uh, oh, oh no, I know because I looked for you because I remember walking around and it took me a couple blocks and then I brought something back that was Coke Zero adjacent and I was like, ah, I failed. But uh, I remember getting there and I walked up to you and I was because you're talking about commissions and art and stuff and I was like, oh, I want a sketch off, yeah. a, off a kyle starks in my sketchbook and i remember because you were doing rick and morty at this time i was like oh i want to sketch you like well here's my my thing and you had like dice and this elaborate like chart with characters <laughs> and numbers and i'm like no 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 i want jackson from uh rock candy mountain you're like oh great thank you but i was like yeah look no at one asked this. for that right I, I was looking at that and i'm like what is all this and i never got to ask you and it always stuck with me that you had this big setup to go with it yeah, I don't, I don't, that was a, that was a brief window where I, so that, that's, and that honestly is part of the drawing is that, like, I'm always drawing Rick and Morty stuff, it feels like, mm -hmm. uh, and that is not, it, like, I, I love Rick and Morty, I'm so honored for the time that I had on that book, I made more of that book than they made episodes of the show, like, at one point in time, for a long time, I was the most prolific Rick and Morty creator on the planet, uh, I love it, but it's like, man, uh, like, I, I would do 20, 25 Rick and Morty drawings a show. And so it's like, man, I make my own stuff. So stuff like, like I, I'm sure, I, I, 
I can't speak from you know perfect memory. I'm sure I was super stoked when you said Jackson, right? Oh, oh are, yeah. Are really confused. Uh, oftentimes, I'm very confused. Uh, but yeah, for a while there, the thing is, like, I would do so many of these commissions, and either it was the same thing over and over, which is tough to do variations. The Rick and Morty stuff, like the Rick and Morty commissions, was it kind of still is just like a whole thing. Uh, when I started, I was taken advantage of by a lot of dudes who were reselling my stuff for uh, nine to ten times more than what they paid for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, kind of when I found out what was going on, and I was like, "Hey, you know, you, uh, you know, you could, you could, you could maybe offer me some more money, knowing how much you make." And they're like, "No." And so my thing has always been with these Rick and Morty sketches, which are always on sketch covers. They're never, no one wants, or very, very, very rarely, does someone like, no, I just want you to do like a piece of paper. It's always on a sketch cover, which means it's collectible, right? You guys mm -hmm. are with me. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. So, uh, we're, we're big anti-CGC, uh, like getting the, the art like graded and everything like that. No, I'm not for I that. Mean, I think there's pros and cons to it that aren't, aren't worth debating, honestly. Like if you want to do it, they, you know, but... <laughs> That's what it's all eBay. I mean, for sure, it's all, it's all eBay. But, you know, it's always on a sketch cover, which is fine. And my thing has always been the people at shows that the, the largest percentage, which the majority, easy majority of people who buy a Rick and Morty commission from me are, are not comic book fans at a comic book show. They're just seeing something they like. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing someone who is tangentially connected to that. And I'm like a way for them to have a piece of it. And so I've always been like, I want people to just be able to walk by and be able to get one. And it not be a thing. So I charge like for years. I charge fifty dollars, mm -hmm. which is which is frankly nothing. Um, and I could have been charging, who knows what, one hundred fifty, two hundred dollars. But I never wanted to. And like the sort of the trade off is like you know some dudes take advantage of this, um, and it's like it, that kind of ruins the fun of it, and it it takes some of the joy out of it. Um, it's always pickle Rick. That's no fun. That's <laughs> it's always the same. That's a penis. I mean, that's a literal penis. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So for a minute there, I was like, "What if I made this dice rolling thing, where at least there was like an element of fun for me, uh, and maybe an element of fun for other people?" But I, I think it just became like too much of a hassle to explain. And and my guess too is with the with the randomness of it is like, oh well, you're gonna get more money for a Rick or more money for a Morty. And if you get, I don't know the characters, like you get like odd character off from the side. It's like, oh, well now I'm paying 50 bucks for something I may not be able to get my money back on. You know what I mean? Which would kind of dissuade oh, I, people from I'm, doing that. I'm not that, I'm not that clever. And I think at that time, like I could have drawn any character, any, any minor character from the show and it would have gone for a fair amount of money. But I will say your memory was quite well because I walked up and I was like, Jackson, I said in my sketchbook and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I pulled out like, you know, I don't want to blow up your spot and have you people come running up to you now for free. But you're like, no, no, no. Jackson, I'll draw for free. You're like, not yeah. a problem. <laughs> you're like, And in a sketchbook. And you end yeah. up like looking through it and see like that. I have like legitimate, like big sketches. And you're like, oh, this is so nice. And I was like, and that kind of like, you know, meant something to me, you know, man, I, I as a as a creator that does sketches, I love a sketchbook. I love a themed sketchbook, uh, mm -hmm. and like especially like it's it's I, I I can from that show like being asked to do something that was not Rick and Morty is so thrill not it's it's different now because um, I'm now it, I there haven't been shows for so long I'm not doing you know 25 shows a year and mm -hmm. uh, whatever crazy thing I'm doing uh, but it's still thrilling like people it's so rare 
it's so rare now that I get asked to do commissions that aren't Rick and Morty that it's exciting. But if it's a sketchbook, like I usually try, depending on the request, uh, asterisk, 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 right? Like I, if it's if it's a, like I'll do them for cheaper than I normally would, just because like themed sketchbooks are usually easier to do. Uh, come up with an idea, right? Because it's like you come up and you're like, this is my dark side theme, but I know what I'm drawing, right? I'm drawing dark side. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, it's thrilling. I mean, I, I bet that would go for anyone who works on a licensed book that they'd be stoked for you to ask about, you know, their non-corporate entity uh, project that they worked on. But I, love, but I do, I like, I love drawing Rick and Morty. I have to draw them all weekend uh, for commission, for commissions. <laughs> uh, it's just part of the game. But yeah, I man, I'm stoked. Because like, like, it's been, it, it was an honor to be the Rick and Morty guy. And I'm still kind of the Rick and Morty guy because I'm the longest tenured guy. Uh, but man, I, I like being the Kyle Starks guy a lot more than that, for sure. <laughs> well, again, I was going to ask, I had questions about Rick and Morty stuff and pushback, but again, Kyle Starks guy, you mentioned going to conventions, things are opening back up. Um, I think you're coming up on, oh boy, is it the Kansas City one next week? That's exactly right. I'm doing, uh, Kansas City. Yeah, I think it is next. Ugh. Real soon. <laughs> Real soon. Real soon. I've, been so, I've, always, I've always wanted to do that show, and it's my first time doing it, so I'm pretty stoked about it. When we do the show, we try to, like, hit, like, oh, like, hey, conventions in town, and it's a lot of just, like, looking at the conventions, looking to see if there's any interesting folks that we're fans of or interesting, like, celebrity types. So, you know, it's been a while. You've been to a bunch of conventions. Uh, have you had any weird experiences with, like, maybe the media guests, like the big celebrity guests or, like, weird green room situations. Cause I know that was like a little bit of sticking point online recently with some creators of like, Hey, the European and overseas conventions treat the artists the same way that they treat the Hollywood people. And like, that's how it should be in the States too. They treat, they treat, uh, so I just did Lexington comic con, uh, which is in K Lexington, Kentucky. And it's a shared green room. Um, they have a great lunch. They, they, it's like, no one takes, it's, it's the, for being taken care of, it's the best show I go to. Um, I have done shows. I, I'm not going to name names, even though I'd love to. But I did a, I did nope. a show in Flo I did a show in Florida once. There's lots of shows in Florida, and uh, uh, <laughs> I got there. I got to the show early, like I always do, or e either to work on commissions or just to to walk around because I never I never get to do that. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a coffee out of the green room. And so I go towards where the green rooms are. And they're like, oh, you can't come in here. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm a guest. Like, it's on my badge, see? And they're like, oh, you're a, you're a green guest. You're like a green guest. You're a comics guest or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. It's like, I just want to get a cup of coffee. Um, that's standard. It's standard in a green room. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, yeah, your green room's over there. And they point. And so I walk over to where they point. And I'm not, I'm not making a bit. I'm not joking. It was literally a closet with a Keurig machine in it. Whoa. And I'm like, what? Like, what do they think's gonna happen? I'm a, like, I'm a guest. Do you think I'm gonna go back there and see like the voice actor for Naruto and like he's not even there yet, man? Like, I'm gonna harass him. Like, what do you think's going? I'm a guest. Like, I'm a guest for having like the smallest degree of celebrities. Like, I'm not gonna harass. I don't care about them. I just want coffee. Um, but like, that's I'd say that's that's pretty rare for the shows that I do generally. Generally, you're all kind of in the same place, um, but you won't. See, I, I, it's it's pretty rare that I see some Lexington. I, all the, the guy who runs the Lexington shows, they're great because it's always that way. So you always sort of have um, 
I, I, my, my, I, so there's a lot. I, one time, uh, one time I had, uh, spaghetti with, uh, Dr. Beverly Crusher. And, uh, and I, I was, I didn't realize it was her for a while. I just needed someplace to sit. And, and, uh, and diabetes, I just found it was a few years ago. So I just, it, my diabetes was a thing and I was talking about it. And I ended up talking about diabetes with the voice of Steven Universe and the guy who played the penguin on Gotham. And that was like all within like 30 years. You're like, all right, that's, this is too a little, this isn't quite the experience I want, right? Uh, but it's interesting. We, we went a couple of years. I went, Chris Weitzer usually goes with me, who's my best friend, and he's the artist on uh, Six Sidekicks and uh, and Mars Attacks. And uh, like Polly Shore was like, was like, <laughs> like giving him like a, like a peck, he, like, like checking out his pecs. He's like, he's like, I like your style, man. And we're like, all right, Polly Shore. That's cool. <laughs> we were, we were just making a joke on last week's episode about the, uh, the the shared Pauly Shore cinematic universe because Brendan Fraser's Encino Man character shows up in Son in Law, so like does that mean all those movies that he's in like even though he's playing different characters are they all part of the no, same universe? Somebody really needs I, to I, tap into that. No, I I I think I saw you just like you just like that guy likes to he likes to reinvent himself. It's the same guy, you know. He just likes to change his name. Yeah, like cause he married the farm girl once. Like is that Son in Law right. where he marries the farm girl? But yes. then he goes to he goes and joins the army. Right, it's and then he has jury gotta, duty, and yeah, you got to figure out the the. It's just the same guy. He's just out there. He's like um, he's like a Leonardo DiCaprio in that Tom Hanks movie. Catch me if you can. He's just yeah. out there reinventing himself over and over, right. changing his ID every few months and doing something different. Yeah. He's like, I'm tired of being the farm son, and now I'm going to join the army to get out of it. All right. Why not? What's it matter? I love it. So- you mentioned Chris uh, Schweizer, and again, thank you for saying his name because we say his name. We Schweizer. butcher his name Schweizer. all the time. And yeah, Schweizer. It seems like there should be a T in there, but there's not. Yes. Now, uh, you said he's your best friend. Were you guys – did the working on Mars Attack leading to Six Sidekicks be- make you become friends, or were you guys friends before Mars Attacks, and how did that we friendship were- develop? Yeah. Uh, Chris Schweizer is my adult-onset best friend, which which I highly recommend. Uh it's it's a great thing to do as you get older is to find someone who brings you a lot of joy. Uh, we sort of we sort of ran in similar circles, um, comics wise when I was when I was breaking in, which wasn't that long ago, um, and we did some shows were, that were like more intimate shows, so we got to know each other better. And he had moved to Kentucky. I live in Southern Indiana, and so he moved like forty five minutes away from me. So we're like, oh, well, we'll get dinner. You know, we'll do something, right? That's what we, one would do when you have a peer, uh, especially when there are no peers. Like someone gets close, you're like, oh, let's go. Um, there's a crazy story where he wanted to go buy a SUV that was maybe painted to look like a tiger. Um, so he needed me to take him. Uh, it ended up not working out because obviously it's a truck that's spray painted to look like a tiger. Um, but that sort of trip, which was like an hour, he thought it was real close. He thought it he he's not great with directions or distances um but he thought it was close to what it was and so it ended up being like a two or three hour drive both ways and then driving this monstrous truck around and we went to ponderosa because i love a I love a, a buffet i love a salad buffet um but we just really bonded like we're we're exact opposites in almost every way except for when it comes to like story and storytelling um and you know politically uh yeah, and so we we really like we we just balance each other uh, in a way that's so rewarding. 
Um, so anyway, so uh, part of being the Rick and Morty guy is like a lot of if it's selling well is like if you're if you're selling a licensed book, then you get offered other licensed books. And uh, a really great editor who's at Dynamite at the time uh, contacted me about doing Mars Attacks, which is very similar to Rick and Morty. It's a, you know, sci-fi. It's a violent sci-fi thing. And uh, I was like, man, I don't know. Like, I like the Tim Burton movie. Fine. Uh, let me think about it. So I, I, I actually I was like, if I get a good idea, I'll do it. And after I hung up the phone, I got I took a shower and I was like, man, I think I had like I wasn't thinking about it. it. Just came to me as they often do. And I was like, man, I really think I have a great idea. And so I was like, hey, Schweitzer, is this a good idea? I think it's a good idea, right? Because we talk, I mean, we're virtual studio mates at this point. We talk daily. We bounce all of our projects off each other. But I was like, you, is this a good idea? And Schweitzer's like, yeah, tell him I'll do it. And here's the thing, my guys. Uh, that's not how it works. You don't just get to go, tell them <laughs> I'll do it, and then it happens. Unless, apparently, you're Chris Schweitzer and it's Mars Attacks. Because I told the guy, I was like, ha, 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 my dude, Chris Schweitzer, uh, says he would do this book, and the guy's like, "Oh yeah, I love Chris. Let's do it." So that wasn't our first collaboration, but it's the first because he colored Rocky Indy Mountain uh, for me. Uh, so we had worked a little bit before, uh, but that's the first time that he he drew and I wrote, and then we did six sidekicks together. And I hope that we get to do more and more because uh, I think he's so incredibly talented. I think he's I think he's America's best secret cartoonist. I think he's just uh, an incredible talent. Uh, deserving of greater recognition um and i love him he's my best friend and he's great and we made two amazing books together in my opinion i met chris at baltimore last year and he's ridiculously nice like yeah. almost like like you look at him sideways like you're too nice you're gonna like chop me up in the basement if i go somewhere with you but he was so like i said so nice like he talked to me i was like yep. i'm at the table and He's like, oh, no. I said, let me get out of the way. for." He's like, no, when somebody comes, I'll ask you a movie. And we ended up talking like films and movies and Westerns for like for a big, a long time. And I asked him to do a sketch in my sketchbook like you did. And I asked for the nine ball car. And oh, yeah. he's like, oh, I don't have the model. And it screwed me up. I said, yeah. oh, then <laughs> give, give me one of the six sidekicks. I said, just give me one of the six. I said, but the book hadn't finished yet. I'm like, what if one of them's the murderer? Yeah. I'm like, then I'm going to be sad that I got the murderer. And you there's other the murderer. cool Right. And he goes, he goes, I got you covered. And I come back and he drew all six. Oh and my God. Go, that sounds like Schweitzer too. Yep. And I, you know, he's charging me for one. And I'm like, I'm like, no, like, why did I said, you gave me six for the price of one. I said, I would never ask that. He goes, I did it. Cause you didn't ask me for that. He goes, but I felt bad because I couldn't give you the car. And like I said, and I ended up buying like prints off him and I bought an original piece yeah. for one of the prints, but so nice. And his setup at his booth, the Deadwood, Insane. like, Oh, the Deadwood like uh, like uh, sales like booth is just so fun, just so fun. I I always call it the uh, uh, the peanuts like psychiatric help booth. That yeah, like the two cents, exactly two cents what it looks like psychiatric advice. Yeah, that you know what that thing's great to look at. It's 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 amazing. But if you travel with him and have to wait two hours for him to put it up and an, an hour and a half to take it down, you will not like it as much. I saw he made, like I put on Twitter, he made a special dolly so he could cart it around at shows. <laughs> now, you, met, you mentioned you guys were working on Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. It's a book we loved. Every every month it came out, uh, we talked about it. I may have even oh, emailed it. the editor in the hopes that I'd get in the letters page. I didn't. Oh, you should have emailed me. Well, again, I follow the rules. It says email this to you know get in there, say it's okay to print and all that sort of stuff. But 
the one thing of all the stuff about that book that was just so much fun and like the, the balancing the characters and the look of everything. Um, I am so sad that the uh, Trigger Keaton Circle of Friends fan club is not real. Well, here's a story for you. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris is Chris comes more from book market than uh, direct market. So he's definitely a the book is an object of art type of guy. Uh, right. I am not. I'm a trash comic book guy. And I just like wrap it in butcher paper for all I care. Right. Uh, I just want people to read the story. The story is what matters. But Chris is a real object guy. And, uh, you know, we were both way into that book. We both really enjoyed working on it. They they dropped the back matter. Pre-made like no one ever asked us anything. Um, no one asked us to to uh, uh, supply anything. So they dropped it on us. And like, we're like, no, wait, wait, if there's gonna be this much back matter, like we want to do it. Like, let us do it. And they're like, well, we go to press in two days. Oh. <laughs> and we're like, well, we need two days. So that that first issue, I wrote this like Rolling Stone last interview with Trigger Keaton thing. I like uh, right away, like in an hour um, because they needed it. Right. And Chris did some artwork and he had to change a bunch of stuff and they ended up leaving that in, which was, we're like, this is great. He made all those posters. Like there's, uh, there's, um, a martial art poster that he drew that night. He's drawn the, uh, the image that's on the back of all the, like we went to town. It's like, we, we and we, we say now re regrettably, if we would have known, like we would have done a whole thing. Like we could have got some, we would have got like eight by tens that were fake signed. We could have done. Uh, we could have done like little membership cards. We were like, we could do, Chris is like, we could do decoder rings. And I'm like, no, Chris, we could not do decoder rings. But yes. yeah, regrettably, man, I wish, uh, I really, really wish uh, that we had more, because he would have gone crazy. <laughs> and but we could have done stickers and like a, you know what I mean? Like even if it's just like a four by six where it's like stickers and like a little baseball card or something. Uh, yeah, we really wish it was a real thing too. But I'm, I think I, I think the idea of it on their part was great. Like, what a good idea! It was, right. that was not our idea. All the other stuff was our idea. It was like, man, it, it's a great idea. I wish we would have known about it before, because we could have like we could have had a lot of fun with it. My father-in-law, I think, could vaguely pass as Trigger Keaton. He kind of has that <laughs> Sam Elliott. And I was like, man, I wonder if I could get him to let me take like a black and white photo, and we <laughs> we'd sign them all like F U Trigger Keaton, uh, F U. Uh, heart, heart, trigger Keaton. Uh, but yeah, that's my big. That is my. That is like uh, a, a regret for that issue is because I w I really wish that we would have had more time with the back issue from the. And I know Chris Chris would say the same. Uh, never publicly though, because he's a very nice guy who's not going to yep. insult anybody. We uh, joke. But, you know, I will tell you uh, the thing that I like. We put a lot of work into that back matter, and the point of back matter, of course, is to theoretically sell floppies to sell the monthlies. Yes. So. We're putting all this work in, but also, you know, and Chris wants to do more work. And I'm like, no one will ever see it. It'll only be in these floppies. It'll only be in these floppies. Um, so it's like it's only worth so much work, Chris, because he's crazy. He'll he'll do he'll do ten times the amount of work when it's unnecessary. Anyway, they ended up putting all of that in the trade. And I love it. Like I'm so pleased uh that if you get the trade, you get all the back matter. They also put we did a, a Skybound X anthology issue. Yep. Um story that we loved where trigger keen maybe fights some monkeys and like they put that in the train oh uh, see i was so, worried that that wasn't going to be in the trade that was the it, one yeah it, 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 why would they like that defeats the purpose of doing all these other things mm -hmm. um so it like 
on one hand, I'm like, man, that's why we put all that stuff in was to sell these monthly issues. That's kind of, I don't want to say disingenuous. I don't know what the word is. Uh, but it's like the book feels so like, like, uh, like, what's the word? Like, it's like elite. It's like it's, it's everything that you, you're supposed to have in that book. And it makes me so happy. You feel like you're getting your money's worth, you know, and in, in, in a nice time where like a the- book is a book is three dollars and ninety nine cents. And a lot of times you're getting 20 pages of story and that's about it. But like with a lot of like your independent publishers, your image, your skybound, your whomever, you're getting your 20 plus pages plus all this back matter. So you, I, I, you feel as though you're getting your money's worth. You're giving the, the, the readers a more bang for their buck, if you will. Oh, I hope that's the case. That's great. Yeah. Um, but so we we joke all the time about like the conventions and stuff where there's like the multiple different like uh, Eric Estrada and I forget the other guy from Chips were at a show a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, and I'm Larry like, Wilcox. Larry Wilcox. There you go. I go some some entrepreneurial con person needs to get like the three motorcycles, have the two of them on each of them, and then you get the picture on the third bike, right? So you said yeah. your father-in-law looks like Trigger Keaton. You do the sequel to this book, which again, I don't know, that kind of leaves it open that there might be. You bring them around to conventions. It's like, hey, you can get your picture taken with the real Trigger Keaton. I think that's a couple extra bucks on the side for you to split with your father-in-law. Uh, one, I, my father-in-law would would not enjoy that experience. Uh, <laughs> he 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 is a different type of man. Uh, I I I I, w- I would love to live. I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen anyone cosplay as one of my characters. Uh, so, like, ex- having someone be like, could I get my picture taken with a character from the book seems crazier to me. Like, I, I, I wish, like, I desire a world. We, like, when we did Assassination, um, we did C2E2, and it was Erica Henderson, who's the artist, who's another good friend of, of me and Chris's. It's Erica, me, and Chris, like, lined up, right? And Assassination, I think, was collected in trade, and it did okay. And Chris was like, he's like, are people going to be coming up to me all weekend and calling me Curse Tarkington? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, it would be hilarious if that happened. And it would make me making a character look like you and act like you uh, pay off so greatly. But it's like, of course, it's not going to happen. Uh, I wish, though. I wish. I wish anything was so big that I've made that people were like, because Chris, if anything goes big, Chris is in trouble because he's in a couple of these books. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say though, next con you are at, I may show up as Terry Komodo. I do. With, I lose my mind. Oh, because <laughs> I have the body type and the hair and the look. So I'm like, I was actually like, are they drawing me? So I'll get me a, you know, a, a, the shirt and everything, and I'll show up. Yeah, I just need a kimono and some Crocs and some really bodacious facial hair. Yeah, and I'm in. And and uh, a sort of an undeserved swagger. That's all you need, and that's you're it. <sighs> I have that. Trust me, I have that in spades. <laughs> now, we're, we're kind of all over the place, but I would be remiss, I, not to ask you, well, nine years ago, maybe more, uh, you did a cover for one of the DVDs for Chikara Pro Wrestling. Sadly, no longer around, but I was involved with Chikara, and right. I was aware of you from your appearances. We mentioned at the top of the show on War Rocket Ajax, and I think maybe... Ricky Thunder had just come out, and Sex Castle was right around the corner. That's yeah, that's true. I I actually looked up earlier. I already forgot what season it was. It's the Watchmaker. That's the name of the right. And I'm so bad with the seasons too. But it was 2013. 
It was like Mr. Touchdown and one of the ants is like giant characters over a stadium. It was for one of the Florida shows. Yeah, this is all correct. So how did that come about? Like, uh, did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Uh, I, if memory serves, that was a long time ago. Yes. Uh, I was at that time. I, I think that you said 2000, I think like 2012 is when I got into Chikara hmm. is after the, the BDK was not there. Right. Uh, they wrapped up like 2000, end of 2010 into beginning of 2011. Yeah. So like, I know it was post BDK, but you go, you know, if you got into Chikara, you went backwards, you had to go backwards. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't know if I was, if, if, if there's a lot of Ricky Thunder talk going on, I don't recall, I don't recall the impetus, but I know that Quackenbush contacted me, um, cause he's a comic book guy. I think maybe yes. he kind of knew some stuff that was going on. And, uh, I was, I was definitely talking about Chikara cause I was like, I was it, like, man, those, those years, uh, this could go. I don't. This would turn into Chikara cast for a second, but like, man, I, that's probably the happiest I've been in wrestling since I was a, like a kid, or maybe like 1998, right? Like whatever is the. Ha- it's just the. Ha- I, to, it brought back all the joy of why I love wrestling, uh, and story. And I'm a story guy, so it's like, man, you can't top, uh, you know, what Chikara was doing at the time, story wise. I still don't think you can. Um, but yeah, I think he reached out to me, and I, I don't. I, it's, I tried to find an email. I'm like, surely there's an email. Um, and I, he had to have been, but I, I know for sure I got paid maybe like nothing, but I definitely got a bunch of videos, like da- digital downloads. Yeah. And that's really what I wanted anyway, was just to watch a bunch of shows, is to watch a bunch of the shows <laughs> I hadn't seen yet, because I wanted to know what was going on. Like, I wanted to know all the all the lore, and, you know, uh, I wanted to see that what happened to so-and-so with so-and-so, so I knew what was going on with them today, and... Uh, yeah, you know that, and you know, I think Jarrett Williams, who's a, another uh, good wrestle boy, uh, wrestle comic boy, did a bunch of the covers back then too. Um, he did a ton of the covers, so I knew him from Chris actually from Schweitzer. Um, yeah, man, that I, that's a weird thing. For, I signed one. Someone brought maybe twice, but someone definitely brought one to a signing I did in Indianapolis, and I was like, um, this is the stuff right here. So it's just, uh, I do a wrestling podcast as well when there's no pay-per-views or premium live events, as they call them these days, me and my co-host Adam will assign each other things. He usually assigns me trash on purpose and he doesn't realize that he's punishing himself. And we've been doing like a rewatch of 2011, 12, and now just starting 2013 Chikara just, you know, cause he's never seen it. A lot of our listeners have never seen it. So I'm, and I'm getting a chance to like go back and I'm like, oh boy, I really stunk on commentary in this match. All right, I turned it around here and it's like, oh, here's baby, you know, 2.0 and baby Chuck Taylor, all these guys that are on AEW now, you know, getting to see them there. Are you still watching wrestling or is like the bug gone? No, no. Um, I I mean, so two things in my life. uh, I've been a huge Knicks fan. I don't know if you guys are sports fans at all. Um, Big Knicks fan, big wrestling fan. The, both sucked, uh, maybe intentionally. Um, and so, uh, uh, I, let's say five years ago, maybe longer ago, I was like, you know, not for Knicks, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to keep con- continuing to pour emotional investment or money or time into corporations that clearly don't interest me. Um, so I quit watching WWE, and I every now and then I'll turn it on and I'll try to watch it, and I feel like it's just un it's untenable um and 
I I enjoy indie wrestling. I I couldn't do New Japan because it, it, there's too much lore for me. Um, it used to be. I could. It used to be on Reddit would do a G1 climax thing where they'd be like, these are the ten matches to watch, and uh, they were always like Shinsuke matches, you know, Shinsuke and Okada, and I'd watch those. And I'd be like, oh man, these guys are great. I have no idea what's going on. Um, but once like sort of uh, Lucha Underground came back around, right? Lucha Underground came around, and then indie wrestling became it's a sort of its own universe. Man, I I love that stuff. I I'm loving AEW. Uh, I I watch a bunch of. Like I watch MLW on YouTube. Uh, I watch NWA on YouTube because it's free. Um, but man, I, I'll tell you, like if, if if they if anyone was a Chikara guy, that's my guy. Like, it, and I, I imagine that's true for a lot of people. But it's like Eddie Eddie Kingston, my heart, man. Like Eddie Kingston's showing up and giving that speech against Cody, and then getting to main event of like my heart. And I told yeah. him, I, I like if he wins this, if and you know he's not going to. But the thing is, like wrestling does that thing where like any good fiction does, where you fall in love with these characters in a way that if, if the story is told right, and, you know, this is what I think I, you know, I endeavor to do. Uh, it's harder to do in comics, but you want people to be like anything is possible, right? Even though it's not possible. Uh, and I, I, wrestling does that very well. Um, and man, yeah, anyone who's in Chikara, I'm so, so I'm so soft for, um, except for 2.0, because screw those guys. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, any any of those any of those guys, um, man. Uh, and soon there's hopefully you know Claudio hopefully Claudio's on AW soon, right? Maybe. Oh, fingers know. crossed. You know what I mean. Oh, I, I I don't know nothing, but uh, you know yeah. you're well, slowly Mark, Mark becoming said. you're slowly becoming Joe's best friend with all your Kingston and Claudio <laughs> love. Oh boy. Well, so, listen. You, like, you, so here's so for me. Like so, I'll tell you. Like I got started. What really got me into indie wrestling. Uh, I'm from Evansville, Indiana. Evansville was one of the, the loops for the USWA, CWA. We were the Wednesday night loop. <laughs> I used to go every Wednesday night with my grandma. Um, when I, I asked, when I did Ricky Thunder, I was like, oh, I'd go every Wednesday. My grandma was a, was an old gal. She was a rip their damn arm off guy, girl, you know? Um, I went every Wednesday night and I asked my mom, I was like, Ma, when did, someone asked me when I started going to wrestling with, you know, my grandma. And she's like, oh, she used to take you in a baby carrier. Um, every Wednesday night. Uh, Dirty Dutch Mantel, Superstar Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler's my guy. And this is this is Jerry Lawler from the 80s. It's not, you know, villain WWE. I mean, he's still probably a real-life villain of sorts. But, like, we're talking about, like, fireball throwing, strap coming down, always does the right thing Jerry Lawler, right? Like, this guy is, like, a, a hero of mine. And I, I don't have, like, that sort of celebrity star. Pre- I don't – I lack it. Um, but there's a few guys that will, that will put it off um, – so Jerry Lawler was wrestling at a Salvation Army here, and he was wrestling a guy who I'd heard about from Chikara, whose name was Chuck Taylor, who's from Kentucky, from, from right across the river from me. Sure. And I'm like, oh, I, I got to go see it. Lo- Chuck Taylor's the best. Chuck Taylor's the best. Um, and so Chuck Taylor was always, like, one of my favorite Chikara guys because he's kind of local to me, and also because he's great, right? Um, like, Orange Cat, like, man, like, it's so funny because it's like that Orange Cassidy is not – who I would have thought it's it just like, I love, I love gentlemen's club, adore gentlemen's club. But it's like orange Cassidy is the one that's going to do it. It's not going to be like some iteration. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do. The thing is like AW has a bunch of those guys and I'm, I'm just so soft for him. Uh, I don't think it's, it's like, I, I don't think I ever loved Eddie Kingston as Chikara champion. I, I loved how he was different than everybody else, but I was never like, man, I can't wait to see that Eddie Kingston match unless it was like, um, 
against uh, Archibald Peck, you know, where he's like send him into the time zone. Oh, uh, well, and I was going to say, so you say that I'm going <laughs> to tell our buddy Adam, I do the Kodo co's the wrestling show with, because we just started that season. So we're not there just yet. Oh, spoilers. All right. That's okay. Spoilers, Adam. Don't watch this one. Uh, but like as out, but I, I, I love him he, on the mic. Like it's undeniable how talented he is. And I think he's gotten, I think whether, whether it's true or not to me, I feel like he's gotten so much better since then. Um, he was on TNA for a minute and they had him like managing. Yeah. Um, and, but he was killing it. He's so good on the mic. He, like anyway, so it's like now Eddie's my favorite. And, well, orange, I mean, orange is, is my favorite. Chuck's my favorite. They're all my if anyone from I'm so soft for him. It's just like the saddest thing. I pull we'll, so hard for him. I'll I'll say this. I know uh, another one thing that you'll have in common with Eddie. He's also a Knicks fan as well. Oh, then he knows the suffering. Yes, he does. He's a Knicks fan and a Giants fan. So oh. well, he got one. <laughs> he got he got a victory since uh, the '90s with the Giants. Two two victories. Maybe they just played for two. I can't remember. So at least he's had someone. I the Nick. I'm always the Knicks are like. Like, I'm a Celtics guy because uh, my wife went to Butler University and the coach from Butler and one of the players didn't went to the Celtics. My grandfather liked the Celtics. And it's just like, it seemed we it, to have any joy, right? It only made sense. And, and my wife and I both love basketball. And so we've happily been Celtics fans for like the last, again, five, six years. I don't know. But man, I, I always, the Knicks are like, I want to, I, I want to go back because I love them. They gave me, I put so much, but it's also like, I feel like that's like some real like, like battered housewife, you know, like I don't want to actually go back. I just would like for them to be worth me going back. Uh, but yeah, sorry, Eddie, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> I, big, big loyalty there. I, I, this is like, it, it's like I said, at some point, man, like these, these businesses don't care about you. And the thing with sports is, is having a blind loyalty to a team makes it more fun. Unless they are actively not caring about you. And then it's no fun. Then it's, then it's, like an emotional waste of time. So, uh, same for WWE. I feel that, I hate I hate to talk trash about any business, but WWE is the same. I, I just like I don't know what they're doing. I don't think they care. I think they're McDonald's. I think they just want to put out a regular hamburger and everyone will be happy with their hamburger. And it's neither good nor bad. I'm like okay, it's filling the quota of what a hamburger should be. There's a bun. There's yeah. meat in the middle. Uh, maybe some condiments. Who knows? Lots um, of cheese. Yeah, it's, it's it's the exact same every time. And it's like the. The, uh, that's the, wor- the, I want. the worst is like WrestleMania this year was actually pretty good. And I think a lot of people's expectations were like super down on WWE for many of the reasons that you just said. So then everybody goes and watches WrestleMania, has a great time. You've got Cody making his debut and Stone Cold and the Sami Zayn match and all this other stuff. And then everybody tunes in on Monday and they're like, oh, it's the same show it was last week. We just got tricked by WrestleMania yeah. to spend three hours of our Monday night watching this again, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that it's also like, it's such a huge time investment. I you know NXT. I thought like up until AEW, like NXT at least was tangentially enjoyable by the star quality that it had. It's like now it's like I don't know anyone who's on that show. Like I turn, I'm like I don't know who any of these people are. I have no idea. Um, anyway, I, wrestling's great. There's so much good wrestling. Like that's it, that's my. You don't even need. Who cares about WWE? There's literally so much wrestling. Yes. There's so many hours of wrestling. Like Penta Penta's wrestling somewhere, guys. <laughs> Like, watch Pinta. He just wrestled uh, CM Punk uh, last week I, I, on I, AEW. I, I, I haven't seen this week's yet. Oh, okay. No, no. It's the opening match. They they did, like, the little hype up where Punk is, like, 
I'm challenging anyone except Eddie Kingston. And he's like tagging yeah, all these people in the tweet. Yeah, yeah. So we can't yeah, talk I, about I wrestling love... anymore because Todd will get upset. All right. All right, no, sorry. Me... Wrestling's, wrestling's great. I, 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 I mean, I, I say without, like, with, as honestly and like, like those years of Chikara, I was at King of Trios when, uh, when Ultramantis won. Yep. We did it! Um, man, like those were great years for me. And I, it's probably the, in, in my life, it'll be when I enjoyed wrestling the most. Um, it was just so joyful and smart and clever and it, it, great stories. Like that's what my thing is like, I don't want to watch, like if I want to watch two guys just kind of roll around each other, I have, there's Pornhub for that, right? Like I want to be told, <laughs> I want to be told a story in some way. And it's like, I feel like Shakara really was like, we can do like, we're not limited by anything. And I love that. And I think Lucha Underground did it too, um, which I thought was great at the time because they, they didn't have budgetary issues either, which doesn't hurt. Um, but it's like, man, like, give me, give me good wrestle stories. Give me fun wrestle stories. Do something different. Like, it's great. Anyway, so yeah, that's my gushing because I, I really did love those times. I, uh, I miss Jakar I miss and I miss having something that scratched the itch the way that that wrestling show did. Right. Um, I'm going to see if I can derail the show now. Yeah, are, you yeah. a doc- are you a Doctor Who fan at all? I'm not. My wife is, though. Oh, okay. Then I'll, I'll end it there. I was trying to alienate <laughs> Joe for a little while. Oh, so, yeah. See, we can talk about canine. Oh, yeah. Canine's awesome. <laughs> That's all I know. Right. Well, again, the main reason uh, that Kyle is here, of course, he we could talk wrestling all day. We could talk all this other stuff all day. Uh, but the book, uh, I Hate This Place, alternate title, F this place, and that F stands for, like, the big one, the big square. Um, So it's a departure for you because there's humor in it, but if – I would say your normal books are pinning the needle at a 10-plus on the humor, right? It's gags, it's lines, it's ridiculousness, but there's a story that ties it all together. It's not just gags for the sake of gags. It's actual, like, really funny things that hold up. Whereas this is, well, there's a joke or two here, but this is like as horror, as scary as it gets. I, like, I, I got feelings of the original Evil Dead, like the one that, you know, took Sam Raimi six yeah, yeah. years to film uh, from that, uh, reading right. the first oh, yeah. issue. Um, you know, you set up, and again, we're not going to give spoilers. We want people to go out and buy the book, but, you know, you set up a premise, we you set do. up rules. Yeah, and then you set up the stakes, and it's yeah. all done in the first issue. There's questions as to why, but you know, if you read that first issue and you're like, and, and you read it, and you're like, I need to know what happens next. Then there's something wrong with you, the reader, not with what Kyle wrote, and then the art. And again, I'm gonna uh, Aryum, Aryum, tip, Aryum. Okay, uh, we think it's Aryum Topolin. Okay, so He's a nice Russian boy. So how did you two uh, get together on this book? Okay. Uh, yeah. So our, I mean, I, I went to Skybound. I'll tell the story. There's a little bit of a story. Perfect. I, so uh, one of the inspirations, if not the primary inspiration, is this place in Utah called Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, I'd never heard of this place. Do you guys know the other one? You know Skinwalker yes. Ranch? Okay. I do not. I, Skinwalker Ranch is basically this ranch in Utah that has 
It's haunt. It has ghosts. It has lights in the sky. It has monsters. It had. It's. It's like the most paranormal place in the world. And I heard about it on. Uh, I was driving to a convention and I heard it on a podcast and I was like, "This is the crate. Like, why is there only one of these places? Why is it? I've never heard of it before now." And I'm like, "Wouldn't this be an interesting setting for a comic book for a story? Like, just the, the, the story. Story to me is always more important than anything else. It's not setting. But I was like, "When is that? I can." I think this is really interesting and that I'm not sure if it's a good idea. It's kind of, you know, uh, it's, it's another place though. My, my place is not Skinwalker Ranch, but it is, I, I'm not, I wouldn't deny it. It's inspired by this place. And I was at New York comic-con and I, uh, Robert Kirkman always comes to see me at New York comic-con. He's very nice. He's a good Midwestern boy. And, uh, I was like, Hey, let me ask you a question. Writer to writer. Does this sound like an interesting setting? And I'd kind of figured out, because it's not to me just like oh there's this place that's weird my thing is always going to be why is it weird what for what reason is it weird right and i was like oh i kind of have this idea here's the place and like why i think it's this way and he's like oh yeah that, that sounds great we should do it i'm like no no this is just a a setting it's not as i didn't pitch you anything you know what i mean like i just <laughs> asked you a question um and when the pandemic came around there wasn't any shows and i was like hey uh, are you guys looking for anything right now and he's like yeah do that thing you said uh, and I was like, oh, I guess I, I need to figure it out. Uh, so I came to them with the idea, uh, with, it, it, I, I don't see to the pants anything. Everything's fully formed out. I don't do anything by accident. Um, I wish I was the type of writer who did do that. I think I'd be much more sane. Um, I'd sleep better for sure. Uh, so I, I had for sure a pitch. I think I maybe had a couple scripts done, though I can't recall that for certain. And we were like, well, we need to find an artist because I didn't have an artist in mind. I I don't have, uh, most people I know are either writers or cartoonists. So I, it's not like I could be like, oh, I've talked to so-and-so. So we, we kind of did uh, a hard search to find somebody. And in the end, uh, Kirkman likes Toplin work because it's very good um, and interesting. It's visually interesting. And uh, so, yeah, we went with, we went with Artyom. That's how, that's how we met. He's done a, a really good job. It's kind of his first major project. It's definitely his first full-length issue in America. Uh, I think he did an anthology for, uh, like, an anthology story for Ice Cream Man. Um, but yeah, we're we're booking along. He's cool. Lee Lawton was the colorist on uh, Deadly Class, and he's doing a great, like, an incredible job with colors. It's uh, it, it it's working. It's collaborating. That's what we're doing. We're out there collaborating. Mm-hmm. So y- you mentioned, you know, and obviously this being more horror than anything you've done previously, sure, yeah. less comedy than anything that you've done before. But a little bit earlier on, you mentioned that you're working on another horror comedy book. So how many projects <laughs> ahead are we, or at least like in the hopper, ready to go at other publishers or maybe at Skybound? Um, so right now I have outside of, of, I hate this place. I have two other projects that I'm working on. Um, and I'm hoping by the end of the summer to be starting on some new ones or at least seeing if there's interest in some new ones. Uh, I'd like to draw something again, which takes time. Um, but I'd like to get another thing going, I think. You know, it's, it, it, it kind of never stops. Uh, and it can't really, you know, just because comics don't pay so well that there's like room for gaps. So you're always kind of hustling. But I'm always for sure uh, weighing how how strenuous it's going to be on my life. So like I have I have two writing projects and one sort of 
cartooning based one. Uh, and it's like, it's probably two, two, three months worth of work. It may be less than that, but it's it, how many hours I put in. Uh, but we're always working on something. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But nothing uh, you could tease. I didn't announce. No. no. Well, again, we're not looking for like. Uh, I, I think you I had can't. said something maybe with uh, Dark Horse, and again, I don't know yeah. what or I, is. Yes, I, I may I may have a comedy horror series that uh, I'm two scripts in. We're starting to get final art on issue one. Uh, it looks great. It's going to be great. I I don't think I'm allowed to talk about. it. <laughs> right. Well, see, you're not allowed to talk about it, but. I did see recently that they did give Matt Kint his own line at Dark Horse, and I'm sure those are two unrelated things. Well, so <laughs> I, I actually, I'd actually been reached out. Um, I've I've been reached reached out to. That, those are the right words, right? Publishers, yes. had, a couple of publishers were interested in working with me based on the success of Six Sidekicks. Um, I had a story that I was really excited about, which is this horror comedy. Um, I did a horror comedy with Old Head, which was my book before Six Sidekicks. Yes, um, that came out in October. Uh, so let, let hold. Let's come back to this. Let's just come back to this real because I tell this. I'm gonna tell the story a lot because I think it's important. Like, I hate this place is not is not funny. It's it's my first not comedy work. There are charming characters in it and there are amusing moments. I can't help myself. I want these characters to be likable. So when bad things happen, you are with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a comedy. It's my first thing that I've done that is not a comedy, and. The reason why that is, is one, Kirkman was like, don't do a comedy. But he wasn't the first one who said that to me, that maybe I should stop doing comedy. Because comedy doesn't sell that well. Um, and a lot of the reasons why, or why you said earlier, Joe, is that they're, they feel like gag books. They feel like low-hanging fruit. It's like Mark Russell does it. Chip Zdarsky does it. Um, Dorkin does it. You know, like there's guys who can do comedy. Like I think I do it really well. Um, and the reason why that is, is because I'm not just trying to do gags. I'm trying to tell an amusing world that's, that you you are you're experiencing the same way they are. It's funny because you can feel it being funny. It's not condescending or mean or slapsticky because that you can't even really slapsticking comics doesn't really work. Um, it's just violence at that point. Like it's just funny. Maybe not funny. Um, and so I I all I want is more readers. All I and, and not because I want to sell more issues, but because I'm not making things for the void, right? I'm not making things to just to go into the blackness. I'm creating stories because I want to entertain people. I want to bring like something fun to their lives. Even if that fun is a spooky story, uh, I want to lighten people's lives and, and, and have them go, that was a good time. I just had a good time with this thing. Um, and I felt like, man, with comics, like my 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 Q rating, so to speak, isn't going up. Uh, I'm not getting more readers, even though I keep working on things that do better and better. Uh, they're not doing significantly better. So like Assassination didn't sell a bunch of six side, or text castles, right? Like I thought it would because Assassination is great. Surely you want to read the other book. Uh, Six Sidekicks is not selling Rock Candy Mountain. Um, so I did this whole crisis of faith thing where it's like, oh, well, I'll just I'll try to do some serious books and hopefully I'm good at them. Um, and I think I am. I think I think uh, I hate this place is really good. I've been told it's really good, which makes me feel better because, again, I'm anxious about it. But since I did that and since the pandemic didn't go away and like everything's still awful, I'm like, you know what? I really like doing comedies. I really like bringing joy to people in that way. Um, so I was like, yeah, I want to do this horror comedy. I want to do this horror comedy book. So when these publishers reach out to me, I'm like, oh, I have this really great idea. And they were both for different reasons. Where one of them, I don't think quite understood it. Um, I think they really were just wanting to cash in on whatever whatever name value I had at the time. And the other was a more corporate. They just didn't. I, I can see why they had issues with it. 
But my good friend Matt Kent uh, is very special at Dark Horse. They like him a lot. He sells books for them. Uh, and he was like, you should talk to Dark Horse. Who I, I've only dealt with Skybound, Image, Oni. And I did uh, some tiny, tiny Marvel things that don't even matter. So my publisher... Oh, Dynamite. I did Di Mars Attacks at Dynamite. My publisher... Expanse is very small, so to be to so to be introduced, uh, I was like, absolutely. Why would I say I, I want to? I just want to make stories. Is all I want to do. I want people to help me make stories, uh, and I I don't care who they are as long as they treat me fairly and they treat other people fairly and they can sell comic books, right? Uh, so yeah, I, I did talk to Matt Kent. Put me in contact with Dark Horse. Uh, thanks, Matt. He's not gonna listen to this. There's too much wrestling. He if there's too much wrestling talking. He wouldn't he wouldn't make it this far anyway. Um, but I, they're great. The, my editor at Dark Horse is fantastic. They're amazing. The artist that they they put on the book is amazing. Uh, I'm hoping to do another project afterwards that hopefully this is going to be a mini series. But I, I think it's a mini series that could be popular enough that it's going to be a series of mini series, uh, which I think would be op optimal for it. And I'd really like to do like I hate this place is a theoretical ongoing in 2022. Uh, I would like for I'd like to do another theoretical ongoing. Which is like what, like eight to twelve issues? If I'm lucky, I don't even know what, uh, what the math probably is on that. Right, that was gonna be my question about. Uh, I hate this place. F this place. Is is this uh, miniseries ongoing? But again, you're saying theoretical ongoing. Yeah, it's not only my first non-comedy; it's also my first ongoing. Uh, That's awesome. I I would I would love in in the comics industry of 2022 to get 15 issues. Are there three five issue arcs, something like that? Uh, I could theoretically do this book forever. Sort of the beauty of this ranch is, um, and intentionally so, is that I can I will be able to play with sort of any genre of horror that I want to, and I I like horror a lot. So being able to be to not just be like, well, here's my horror story. It's a haunted house. It's a haunted doll. I don't want to do that. I I like the idea of being like, well, I can move these characters from a series of terrible places. And it's a different sort of struggle depending on where they are, or the time of day, or you know who the big bad for that arc is. Um, I could theoretically do it for longer, um, but you know, sales like you know what is what's realistic. So I, I'm, I'm I'm fingers crossed, uh, 15 issues, uh, which would be which would be the story that I imagined. But I would have liked to have played around probably a lot more, uh, even with 15. But man, selling comics is hard. Um, <laughs> It's real hard. That's why I like doing, you know, what we did was I do five or six issue miniseries. Um, I get to tell full stories, which means I can kill all those characters off. The, the threats are real. The uh, like no one has to survive a miniseries. Like, I hope you guys get that right. Like we can kill whomever we want. There's not going to be I don't need to make sure Spider-Man's around an issue 750. <laughs> they can they can die. Uh, I like those. I like those risks. I like having those. Um, uh, a word that is just escaping me. Uh, unsurety, uh, you know, yeah, just anything could happen in a book. You know, no one is. Yeah, anything can happen. Right, exactly. Anything can happen. That's what you want. You would, you, you, that, I think the thing is with, for me reading, you know, Spider-Man's going to be fine. You know what I mean? Spider-Man's going to be fine. Uh, but Trigger Keaton's dead, right? Trigger Keaton's already dead. Uh, and all these guys could be dead too. There's no reason anything bad can happen to these guys. Uh, and I really like that. And I like, I like having the beginning mean something to the end of it, you know, like, those things are really important to me because I think I think things in stories should affect other things in stories. And like I said, that's why I'm crazy because I'm always <laughs> nothing's on accident. There's nothing on accident. Um, 
And if there's something that you go, why did you do that when it didn't follow up? It's because the editor made me not do it. That's the answer. A wizard did it, right? <laughs> but Image has given this book a great push. I saw like that little motion trailer uh, that they put it. out all over social media on their YouTube page and everything else like that. Uh, really makes uh, Art Yum's art pop uh, in all of this. They're selling the book really strong. And Image also, I think, does the best job. You know, and again, I would, could even tell you what the schedule looks like for a Marvel or a DC trade these days. But I feel as though whenever you're saying you, like, you have like right now in your head like three five-issue arcs, if there's a break between the first and that second uh, uh, five-issue arc, I could guarantee you that first trade is going to be on the shelves the same day as issue six is out. Yeah, they're real good about that. For sure. Oh, yeah. But we don't I, want I, you. I, I, I don't know with Skybound, but certainly that's their, that's Image's preference is to take a yeah. little break in between arcs. Right. And we don't want you to do that. We don't want you to wait for the trade on this one. We want everyone to go out and get the first issue. Um, You know, like I said, I got two waiting for me. I need one of each cover. Me I too. I think there's a variant cover for number one, too. I don't want to make it hard on you guys, but... Oh, uh, three Mike, covers? Uh. Mike Walsh uh, from Silver Coin did, uh, did a variant cover, or is working on a variant cover, I believe. Oh, and Silver Coin's the uh, the the Skybound anthology horror thing, right? Yeah, I think I think it's Image. I don't think it's Skybound, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not sure it's anthology anymore, but it's tough for me to keep track of what's going on. Uh, but that's a good book, for sure. Yeah, I remember it originally got solicited as like a miniseries, and I think they're up into the teens. So I think that yeah. book is doing very well. I think the first, I think for sure the first 10, there was different writers each issue, and I'm not sure that's still the fit. I don't want to speak on someone else's work. I, sure. Those, like that first volume uh, is a bunch of real good writers and real good art. It's a good time. Yeah. It's, it, that's a, it's a real, uh, something I'm, I'm excited about uh, is that there's a non-superhero, non sort of mystery genre at what like horror is really thriving right now uh and there's a lot of great books silver coin anything tinian wrote uh something's killing the children nice house on the lake like there's a lot of great non-superhero sort of non you know brubaker stuff uh and like man that's so exciting because for someone who's like me who does these weird action comedies like i just love that the uh you know, the industry is like expanding in that way that the readership is like, let's try something different and get excited about it and be excited about it. You know, and you had mentioned, of course, before with like the horror stuff. I know Dark Horse has a lot of that stuff. I know Cullen Bunn has like uh, Harrow County and then he has a new one that he just started. Uh, I think but then like he started. Was that <laughs> like it's everything he does, right? It's all. Yes. It's all it's his whole stick. Um, but the, the comedy stuff, you know, we mentioned Mark Russell before yeah. Chip Zdarsky and the stuff that they do. I, th and it bums me out to hear someone like you who does the comedy stuff so well say that it doesn't sell, you know, I think that just means I got to buy more issues of them, you know? Yeah. Everyone's got to buy more issues. It's, 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 well, listen, like, and, and this is something I, I talk to a lot. I'm not talking from a place of, you know, like, like, oh, I know I'm, I'm def, 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 like decidedly right. But if if Mark Russell sold really well, he wouldn't be at Ahoy. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it is what it is. Right. Comedy, comedy and comics. I, I, I talked to a retailer once and I, uh, I did a show with the retailer and I'm like, oh, oh, you know what we sell a ton of? Like we sell a ton of, I hate Fairyland. Uh, we sell so much of it. And I'm like, oh, that's, because here's the thing, a, a store, an enthusiastic store can sell anything and they can sell it over and over and over because it's just like, you know, if you go into the clothing store and they go, man, you look great in that shirt, they're going to sell you that shirt, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. A store that a store that loves a book is going to sell that book. There's a store in uh, in Jersey that sells Sex Castle to this day, regular, because the guy who works there loves Sex Castle and he loves selling it. Um, God bless him. God bless him. Oh, he's a good wrestle boy too. Um, oh, okay. So so these guys are like, oh well, you know, our book here is we sell a ton of I Hate Fairyland or whatever. And I I was like, oh, that's like that's great. You, you don't have pushback because it's a comedy. And the guy was like, you know, now that you say it, I never have called it a comedy. I've never once said it's like this book is hilarious. Um, and that's because it, it's just what's the, like you can what's the great what's the, the three best superhero comics? Easy, right? What's the three best, uh, you know, noir mystery? They're all Brubaker. Uh, they're all Brubaker. That's not fair. But you <laughs> right. get what I'm saying? It's like the thing is, is like if it's one, the, the 90s made it so comics had to be very serious. Right. That was bad for sort of ever since then. Um in my opinion, in a lot of different ways, but comedy people get burned by it too much, and and that's fair because comedy's comedy is very subjective, and the people who we just missed, myself, I feel like again I take it very seriously. Um, the, those guys do the same thing, and the thing is they all know you you have to make you have to make these comedies for everyone. The best comedy is really considering high comedy, low comedy. You know, some some gags where I do a lot of wordplay, obviously, I do a lot of dialogue bits, I do silly characters and silly situations, but you have to factor all these things in. And I think if you're Marvel and you're like, oh, we should do something with this funny character, like you just get so Joe so and so to do it, and he's just going to try to be funny, and he's not funny, you know, mm-hmm. he knows how he knows how to do a great uh, Iron Man in 20 pages. I can't, I can't, I don't think I can do that, not not as well for sure. That's a that's a very specific skill, and those guys who work for uh, Marvel and DC, like being able to tell a great story every month in twenty pages, which they do, is really hard. Um, and especially since it's like the post office; it never relents. Like you have to constantly be on top of being engaging with the same character for twenty. Like that's hard. Um, and I think comedy is hard too. But the thing is, like you know, it's like comedy is it's a low art, right? So it doesn't theoretically require the same amount of energy and blah blah blah. Um, that's why I think I think the thing is like there's there's guys that do I mean Chip doesn't well I just read Chip's new book and it's pretty funny, um, but like he you know, look Chip's doing Batman you know what I mean like Batman's yeah. not farts like he's doing Batman now, um, right. and his Daredevil's but, great and Daredevil his, like his new burn too is fantastic still Stillwater is really good guys it's really good I highly recommend I, that Skybound too I don't know it was it was on a it was on a little bit of a hiatus so I fell behind but I think it's back uh, either like this week or next that's back like on track, you know, from their little bit of a hiatus, but yeah, yeah, no, we were really enjoying Stillwater there for yeah, a while. Stillwater's great. Another, a kind of a, a horror, I'd say that's kind of horror, right? Horror yeah. adjacent, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the thing is like, there's guys who do it. I mean, Dorkin has always done it. Uh, I didn't, I, I, I did talk to someone earlier today and I was talking about uh, the Giffen de Mateus Justice League. That's Uh-oh. a masterclass of comedy. Like it's, and that's, that's the thing is like, who, who wouldn't like that? No one, everyone likes it. Who's hating on that run? Why would you? But by the end of it, it was just like, by the end of it, it was a punchline, right? Like all of the nuance was gone. Um, and I feel like that's the thing is people like, they don't, no, one, no one enjoys that. No one enjoys a weird, these characters are punchlines and that's the joke. Um, and, and so, so, com- so based, that's why I, I think comedy doesn't sell well unless you're a Deadpool and Deadpool has never been a punchline and somehow avoided that, right? Somehow he's always been kind of the wacky, you can do different stuff with him. He's like Bugs Bunny, it's great. Um, but the number of characters that are like that are, that's it, right? Is that it? Probably. And, and, 
And it's in Harley the right Quinn. hands too. You know, Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn's I not think not even a comedy character anymore. So yeah. Um, but you know, we could we could tell you off air who the person that's uh you know, that doesn't like uh the just the Giffen Demand is Justice League. Oh no! <laughs> well, you're talking to the king of Justice League International here. Yeah, right. it's not with you guys, right? No, oh. no, no. It's someone a little higher up in the comic food chain than us. Uh, right. Sure. But uh, no, I, so, I, I that. That's my go-to book. That's I, that's on my Mount Rushmore of best comics of all time. Justice League yeah. International. I, I I think it's it, it's just a it's a master. That's that's the best, not the best way, but if you're going to do horror in a comic series, that's the way to do it. And the thing is, is like, would would you say that's a comedy series? Absolutely not. But is it funny? Yes, it's hilarious. It's great. But it's still yeah. and that and that's what I endeavor to do, even with things I'm like, this is an action comedy. Is that is it a good story? Is it engaging? Are the characters interesting? Yeah. Everything else is just, it's just lights, right? Like, it's just, it's just more fun to add to it. And I always say with JLI, see, now we're in my wheelhouse, not wrestling, but uh, it, it, it's always because it was funny when the, when the moments hit, they hit all the harder. Like, you would do like, oh, here's one punch and here's blah, ha, ha. And then you would get to like issue 24 and it was like Booster and Beetle go hunt down uh, like what people think is a vampire under the, the this in these caves and it ends up instead of wanting to go back to the lab and be dissected it it, it kills itself and i'm like this isn't this is horrific yes. this makes me feel all the sadder because these two goofs did this and it's it's just a, a dichotomy that's just fantastic yeah it's great it's amazing i mm-hmm. that a, a, a good and what i was saying in regards to how especially like the big two don't Think about how like how how charming it is that those guys are like Martian Manhunter loves Oreos, mm-hmm. and then like you know twenty issues later he has like a throne made out of Oreo. It's like what is going on, guys? Like that's not that's not funny. Like that's that's something you think it's funny, but it's not actually funny. Like anyway, right? I, 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 I don't want to be a comedy prude, but I will say <laughs> I, it doesn't it it doesn't sell well, and I think it's because a lot of people have been burnt, and it's subjective, and that's all fair. I, those, right. That's all fair, but I think. It's 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 unfortunate for you know Mark Russell, um, though I, I bet he's doing great. He's very popular. Mm-hmm. Is that are me? <laughs> Maybe I just mean for me. Maybe poor <laughs> Kyle. Is that <laughs> I wish to do because there, there's good stuff. But the thing is, you know, Mark Russell had Flintstones and it was great, and and it validates him to the direct market. And I have yet to have that project that validates me to the direct market. So mm-hmm. it's like I get it, man. We're out here. We're out here working. We're just trying to make good stuff and. Uh, you know, I, I wish everything I did a million people read, um, but I'm happy 4,000 people read, you know? Well, you know, we're going to help, you know, we're going to do what we can with our little thing, uh, our podcast here. You know, we, we talked every time Rock Candy Mountain came out. We talked every time Assassination Nation came out. Uh, we talked every time Six Sidekicks came out. And I, you know, reading the first issue of I Hate This Place, I have a feeling we'll be doing the same thing. With that, not to be too pluggy, but like we could be here all night, but there's two other things I want to mention. You mentioned about your dialogue and you mentioned about the Martian Manhunter thing and the throne of Oreos or Chacos because they couldn't use the, the Oreo right. name or whatever. Right. So your dialogue is like so punchy and the, the phraseology that you put into these characters' mouths, right? Is there ever been something that it's in your head? You're like, this is it. This is the This is the funniest thing I've ever thought of. And you put it down on paper and you like, once it's down on paper, it just doesn't work. Like, have you ever had that happen where like, you think you have the perfect bit and then in the context on paper, whatever, it just falls flat. I, 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 I'm not trying to 
I don't think so. But here's so here's so here's kind of my process. Um, again, like I say, like I everything has to matter, right? Like everything that happens is for a purpose. Everything's to lead to something else. Either it's it's a, it's a character defining moment, or I'm wanting to set up some sort of Easter egg thing for the end. Everything is like this very complicated web puzzle piece thing. Um, and the way I write is I will tell myself sort of these story beats over and over and over until the, the structure of the story is right, okay? That is not bits. That's not dialogue. Maybe some of it is if it's important dialogue. But then I start, then I just, I go to work. And for comedy especially, and I think that goes for one-liners and stuff like that, is you want to have some spontaneity to it. If it makes me laugh in the moment, then I know it's right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I write. So I leave myself space to do all, that's all stuff that I do in the moment. Um, there, There's stuff that, I mean, not to say I don't set up stuff, but like, you know, like famously, I mean, any one of my bits, like I, I didn't, I didn't like, man, I should do a comic and have this bit in it. It's never that. Uh, it's always, I, I want my dialogue to be that. I want it to be punchy. I want it to be funny. I want it to seem real enough, right? Um, but I can't think of anything, I can't think of anything I thought you were gonna ask me if there's something guys like I shouldn't use. And I'm like, man, I bet I did do something inappropriate more than once. But um, there's a few things in old head that there's a few old guy, old head, bad guy bits that I was like, I don't know if I should fit this in. Cause they're pretty, they're funny, but they're mean. Like they're, they're, they're real mean and they're kind of nasty and gross and misogynistic. But I was like, they're, they're kind of funny still. And I hate to say that, but as like, we, like Chris was like, do you think like, should we have this joke? And I'm like, he's a bad guy. Like, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it yeah. makes him more of a bad guy, which is the point anyway. Um, but I will say, in so in Six Sidekicks, there's a there's a there's a bit where uh, they're all at this lawyer to read the will of Trigger Keaton, who's dead. Yep. And uh, while they're there, uh, Trigger Keaton, who again is the worst man in Hollywood, apparently part of his of like his will was to send a bunch of prepackaged boxes of his feces to his enemies or maybe not his enemies just to a bunch of random people he didn't like and uh as the sidekicks are leaving they're in the midst of a war with all the the stuntmen in in hollywood because of course there's a stuntman war um and uh they sort of t they're like hey it's the sidekicks and one of them knocks one of the boxes up in the air and uh uh one of the characters goes there's poopy in the air and he he's dressed like woody from uh from Toy Story, so that you would understand the inflection. And I thought this was, and I still think, it's hilarious. It, it yelling, is, we, yelling, there's poopy in the air is hilarious to me. Yep. Uh, Schweitzer did not think it was funny. <laughs> so there's a lot of like, uh, oh, you know what? I had a, I also, in Mars Attacks, I did have a bit where they're in a, um, like an apocalyptic, uh, um, like an underground bunker for the president. And he made a, I had him make a joke about like how, how good was the harem here? Uh, and no one liked that. So I didn't put that in. But I, I think I think if there's an underground bunker for the president to go to, there's definitely a harem there. Probably. I, I will say, I'm not gonna go all over your greatest hits, but I haven't read everything. I'm slowly going back through because I started with Rock Candy Mountain. Uh, Rock Candy Mountain, my favorite line in it is the uh, punch diarrhea uh, toilet bowl yes, face line. Uh, from uh, assassination uh, is we've climbed that mountain and blanked the sun and we have the sunburnt bleeps to prove it. 
That's that sticks with me to this day. And then there may be two in six sidekicks. One is uh, the uh, I'm Komodo uh, door blanker PhD kills me every time I say it. And then when they're in the car being chased and he's like, oh, my God, they're going to kill us. I don't want to die. I've only only ever had had perfectly normal sex. (laughs) I'm like, that's how like these stick with me. I could roll these right off my head. And I love that. Like, it's like that classic action eighties movie, like real big blank energy one liners. I I think, I I think there's no, there's no doubt that that's, that specifically is a huge influence on me and how I want to tell stories. I think some of my, my favorite, like, if you're like, oh, what's, like, your favorite comedy moment? Like, they're probably from Schwarzenegger movies, you know? Like, mm-hmm. my favorite singular moments. Um, and they exist within the confines of this other thing. And I, I think that's why, uh, I, you know, I feel like I'm kind of doing genre mashing because it's always comedy blank, comedy blank. Like, why I'm interested in things that go together like that. And it's like, those, it's not, the movie's not a joke. It's just, it's funny in places. And I think that's the type of ex- the comedy experience that I want. And that's the common experience I want to give. And so as long as you have a good world and those characters, like, you know how they're going to act. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you don't have to think real hard about Tad only ever having perfectly normal sex. Like, of course he has. (laughs) And of course that would be his, that would be his number one fear. Right. Oh, and I left out uh, the you to a me fight in Sex Castle is one of the greatest lines ever written. I think, I think uh, you brought a me to you fight uh, is probably like it's somehow responsible for my entire career. I think that's not a for bad better thing. or for worse. Not a bad thing. And last but not least, uh, I re- it had to be about three, maybe four years ago. You were supposed to do a Dr. Pepper comic. No, I did do a Dr. Pepper comic. Okay. Did it ever come yeah. out? This so, no, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> th- so skybound hired me to write a Dr. Pepper comic. Uh, this would have been the, the time traveling. Doc, I, there's a very, I don't know if you remember the character. They had an actual Dr. Pepper. It's not Little Sweet, though. I did write Little Sweet in there. You better believe it. Um, <laughs> so as Dr. Pepper was doing sort of these time traveling adventures, I think they put out like two or three commercials anyway. So yeah, they had us make this comic. Um, they were going to hand it out or sell it at San Diego Comic-Con that year. They printed up who knows how many, right? These are the Dr. Pepper people. It's not, it's not, uh, Oni, right? The Dr. Pepper people are printing these things out by the bucks load. And they never they never handed them out. I can only assume this advertising agency has a warehouse full of Dr. Pepper comics somewhere. I think I have I got like a grip of them. Uh, and I'm going to tell you it's pretty good. I, I think for a license for a licensed soda comic I killed it. And the art uh, uh, and unfortunately I don't have it in front of me oh that's going to bother me. The artist I, did I, a killer job. Yeah, because I was just going back through like our notes of like different times that because we've never had you on the show before, right? I can't believe that, but I think I think it's true, but I can't believe that. Right. Like, I think we just spoke very lovingly about you in the past, and uh, that I think confused us when we were trying to to go over this. I, I, um, know. I remember it was in our show notes, like maybe like three or four years ago, that this book was supposed to come out, and then it just never did. Um, Luca Claretti is the yeah, artist. Luca, that's right. And they they murderballed that book. They did such a great, like it's un. And I I I can't recall everything I made them do. There's some pretty dumb stuff in there, 
but they were doing like these like Dr. Pepper, like uh, liquid Dr. Pepper portals. And man, they did such a good job. It's, it's, I, 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 my invaders in book wasn't the best book though. I, I think it's fine. I have like really no regrets. I feel like I've done a really great job with everything I've done. And like that Dr. Pepper book is good for a Dr. Pepper book. Like I think, I think if you, any, you'd be like, you know what? That was an enjoyable time. Uh, which again, that's the goal every time out. It's it's a good time. I have them, and I always like, oh, I should put them on my website, or I should take them to a show sometime. And I just I just never remember. I, I I'll send you a PDF or something if you want to see Ooh. it. I'm sure I have a PDF. because oh. uh, I, I I went searching for the PDF. It was supposed to be on Dr Pepper's Instagram, and I went looking through like my archive of PDFs, and I didn't have it in there. And I was trying to find it online somewhere before we recorded today to see if we could talk about it or whatever. Uh, but our, uh, Todd and I's friend, Tom Durenick, who's an artist for DC, uh, has done, what, three KFC DC comics? Yes, I call him the definitive Colonel Sanders artist. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, some of that, I really enjoyed Dr. Pepper. I really enjoyed uh, Mars Attacks. Like, and I really enjoyed Rick and Morty. If, if you get the right property... And the right sort of uh, corporate structure in regards to like checks and balances, where they're kind of loosey goosey on it, it can be a lot of fun. And I, I, I think good books can be made. And I, I stand by it. I stand by that. The Doctor Pepper comic, no one will see. I stand by. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, where can we uh, find you on social media? Support you in any other ways outside of going to your local comic book store and pre-ordering or Putting it on your pull list. Uh, I hate this yeah, place. Get, yeah, I hate this place. Uh, final order cutoffs, April 25th. If you want that dirty name, you have to ask for it. I, that's my that's my big pitch. Uh, I am on social media. I'm the Kyle Starks on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I, I don't really use Facebook, but uh, I do have a Patreon like anyone does, patreon.com backslash Kyle Starks. I do a sticker club where every month for $5, I send two pretty good-sized stickers of some dumb thing I like. Uh, I often do voting on the Patreon because sometimes I just can't figure out what to do. Uh, so that's a good time. Five bucks anywhere. That's international too because I'm crazy. <laughs> I have storekylestarks.com. Lots of my books are on there. Not all of them. You can get me on Amazon. Buy the books, man. That's the, like the number one thing. If you like a creator, if you like one book, uh, buy another book by them. Uh, I, I think I got a lot of good books, man. And I just want people to read them. That's all I want. So the best support is reading. Uh, I, in fact, I know a lot of my, I know Old Heads on Hoopla. I know Six Sidekicks on Hoopla, uh, which is a library app. Like, uh, read it there. Read it there. And if you like it, buy it. If you read it there, buy Sex Castle or buy Kill Them All or buy something else, you know? Uh, that's the most important thing for any of it. I, and I'm sure almost any creator would say that. It's like, how can you support me? Is just read the stuff. Read this and talk about it. Jeez, talk about it. If you like someone's work, tell somebody. Find someone and tell them. <laughs> tell your retailer how much you liked it. Like all that stuff matters. Uh, word of mouth is important, and you know not everyone's John Hickman and Brian K. Vaughn who are going to sell no matter what. Like the other guys need help. Um, we need your help, people. And I point dramatically towards the screen that you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you again, Kyle, very much. We look forward to uh, th as of this episode coming out uh, next month. May eighteenth is when the book comes out. April 25th, final order cutoff date. Don't miss out. Uh, again, we've been extolling his virtues for many, many years. If you're not on the train by now, um, I would say it doesn't matter. I, I, I hate people who are like, oh, you're a Johnny-come-lately fan. I'm like, I don't care when you became a fan. 
As long as you're a fan of the thing that I like, that means they're going to keep making more of the thing that I like. So if you just started today, that's cool. I've been here for five years, six years, whatever. <laughs> I'm happy. More, more the merrier. Everybody come along for the ride. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank I, you. I, I wish I didn't. No, go ahead. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, it was great, guys. I love I, It's so nice to when people have read the work and, and are excited to talk about it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the new book. Did we say we liked the new book? We thought it was good? For sure. Uh, like yeah. I said, uh, you know, there's an Easter egg or two in there. There's a lot of mystery stuff in there. Uh, but uh, it's a horror book. But everything that you need to know and keep you coming back for more is all in that first issue. Yep. Right, and it. an interesting cliffhanger that I want to know more about. Yay. Maybe off air. No. No. All right. Thanks again, Kyle. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Kyle. Be sure to check out his book, I Hate This Place, uh, which is coming out May 18th. Uh, final order cutoff date at your local retailer or wherever it is that you buy comic books is this weekend. Uh, we're probably going to talk about the book when it comes out. We're probably going to do it as like our preview review book, mm-hmm. give you like a full discourse of it when that comes out in about uh, three weeks time. Uh, but yeah, it was great talking to Kyle. Kyle's one of the best dudes uh, around in comics, you know? Yeah, you should probably have him on that little podcast you do about wrestling too, Joe. We, uh, listen, we typically don't have guests on uh, that little uh, podcast we do about wrestling because usually I f- forget how recording podcasts work and they get lost to the ether. That is true. Uh, but you could check out any and all of those shows over at soontobenamednetwork.com, soontobenamednetwork.tumblr.com. Uh, as mentioned, all the shows in the soon to be named network, anytime they go live, you could find them there. And that is this show, uh, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, final, uh, yeah, final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, At Odds with Wrestling, which is a little show that Todd mentioned that myself and Adam do, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Hit My Music, which returned last week with a killer episode, uh, Porch Talk, Wings on Wings. Uh, and anytime any of us folks are on other shows and they remind me, I make sure to post them up there. Uh, I was actually on front of the show, Mark Cole's podcast, The Winter Palace, uh, this past weekend, uh, regaling tales and memories of Gilbert Gottfried. I think the podcast is nearly three hours long. <laughs> um, again, just get talking, man. Uh, we did talk comic books and wrestling and Marvel Puzzle Quest. So it's a nice sampler for pretty much everything that's on the website. Uh, right. There was no mention of Wings or Wings, though, sadly. Right. Did you cheat on me and talk about Doctor Who with him? No, I did not. Okay, just checking. I know better. Uh, the the uh, the amount of Doctor Who knowledge I have could be fit into a decorative Doctor Who thimble. <laughs> right. A sonic thimble, if you yes. will. So uh, be sure to check out, like I said, uh, Mark's show when he does post up stuff. If you enjoyed me on there, get even more. Uh, you can go check out our friend uh, Kevin's website, MassLibrary.com, for his reviews. He recently put something up, uh, a review of a graphic novel called Evolution, Utero, The Conception. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also check out uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, Free Karate Shop chops.storeenvy.com uh, where he has all those cool resin and glow-in-the-dark sci-fi fantasy and sorts of other stuff. He actually now has uh, stickers up as well. So, Ooh. again, sign me up, you know? Yep. 
Uh, you could also check out listeners of the show, uh, Chris Runt and Jason Sandberg. Both of them respectively have done self-published comics, Battle Monsters and Jupiter. The names of those comics, we have links to where you could purchase those comics digitally from them. And I'm sure there's ways that you could probably reach out to them if they have physical editions. You could probably get them that way as well. Uh, we talked at length in our interview with Kyle Starks in regards to those final order cutoff dates and contacting your local retailer. I had this book on my list two months ago when I went to my local retailer, our local retailer, Comics on the Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could reach out to them through their Facebook page, which is where he does a lot of his business, reminders of books coming out and so forth. If you don't have a comic book shop in your area or a good comic book shop in your area, let them be your comic book shop. Sign up for their mail order subscription service. Have your books sent to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, however it is they send them to you. There's a chance that our good friend Becky is going to do some fun sketch on your package. Mm-hmm. And you can go check out her social media, which is all linked up here in the show notes as well, for a lot of the commissions and arts and prints and process and so forth that she has done as a fantastic artist. Did you ever get around to talking to her about that that topic she wanted to talk about? No, we passed like ships in the night. She wasn't there two weeks ago. And then last week, I kind of tried to lead her into it, and she didn't seem to want to talk about it. So, oh, she was probably mad at you because because when I was there two weeks ago, she wasn't. Yes, she was like, "How dare you be there when I'm not?" (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, let's get into what we read from this past week, sir. Uh, And that would be uh, "Ghost in You," a reckless hardcover by ed brubaker and art by sean phillips and i got notes but you uh you start us off here basically uh this is you know the what the fourth story in the reckless uh you know series um it but it mostly revolves around anna instead of reckless because through most of the the book he's off on another case so we really don't see him and his assistant who helps at the movie theater and blah, blah, blah is, I think she actually owns it at this point. Um, she's, you know, gets involved in a case and it revolves around a, just basically an Elvira type character, you know, that was, that she grew up watching. She inherits a house and she comes and she believes it's haunted because of various reasons. And we get to get that, the history of the house. Like it was, it's a, uh, what they call a murder house. You know, it has a, a history about it. So she ends up taking the case and going to help her. And along the way, she like learn learns about it by getting like she's like if it's haunted, I'm gonna get this person from my past who's you know who does seances and stuff, mystical stuff like that. And through that, ends up bringing up Anna's mother because they were friends, and that brings in you get a lot of Anna's backstory and her relationship with her mother and what she's doing. She's getting remarried and how all that works. So Anna starts looking into that. Doesn't quite go too well i don't want to give too much away because once again it's a mystery but it goes you know the the story of her helping her um lots of interesting things about like uh the 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 character creative character the elvira type and everything um and in the end you know we get the the wrap up to the story is the house haunted or not what happened and then we find out what happened to the characters uh that pop up like years later and stuff like that as he does in these books of the reckless uh, stories that he's done, this is my favorite. And it wasn't even about the main character. Um, I really liked uh, 
this and the stuff that he had in the back, like to make sure we knew like where he got all the stuff from. He didn't want to make sure that the, the relationship with the mother, which was bad with Anna and her mother, he's like, that didn't come from me. Me and my mother are good. And he talked about like what was fiction and what wasn't and, and stuff like that, which was totally in my head while I was reading this, because I feel that way about Ed Brubaker's storytelling, that a lot of this stuff comes from some people that he knows or somewhere. But all in all, like I said, this was my favorite of the, the stories, Joe. So I might agree with you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe the reason that this is my favorite because it's the fourth of them and we're into the feel and the structure of how these kind of go. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Anna is a more likable protagonist. Yes. Reckless is Ethan or whatever his name is, is very just he's a sledgehammer you know what i mean yes and there's not much interest there where i got to learn about let me just put it when we learned about ethan in the first issue the first story we learned everything we needed to know about him yes and it's like it's anything else there's there's nothing different he is now the force of nature that solves these crimes where anna is a full-fledged character and i feel like we can learn more about her every story they do about yeah, and I think if this was the first story where Anna is a wholly new character, mm-hmm. where we either have to learn everything about her before we get into it, and you mentioned she's a more fully fleshed out character than Ethan is, but we've gotten enough of her over the previous three graphic novels that we are still learning stuff about her. Like, we're introduced to an ex-boyfriend, we're introduced to her mother, and all this other stuff. And we're also getting to uh, maybe see some of Ethan rub off on her. Yep. Again, not to give too much away as well, because I really think you should be checking these out um, when she goes to confront uh, her mother's new fiance. Right. Um, And I would also feel as though, and it's, I hate to say it's a trope, but anytime there's sort of a detective-y mystery sort of thing, this one felt like it flowed a lot easier. Yes, I'll get into um, that in a second. Go ahead. Yeah, where it's like, uh, so she shows up at, and again, I have notes. Um, you know, she shows up at Evelina, like Evelina shows up because the dog is missing and she thinks the house is haunted. So she shows up and then the cop is there and the cop kind of gives her a warning. So then she goes to uh, Madame Marlena, who's like a fortune teller type person. That she used to go to when she was younger with their mom. And then that's how the mother gets back into her life. And then she's out flyering for the dog. And she mentions about Mrs. Rose's house. And then she goes and talks to the old boyfriend who has the blueprints for the house. And the old boyfriend mentions his mother was friends with Mrs. Rose. And like all this stuff is just like very nicely flowing into each other. Like when she goes to confront the, the, the new fiance and she takes the pictures of him. And then the pictures get left in the house. The, the camera gets left in the house. And then she goes back to the house to look for it. And the camera's gone. You know, like, it just it just has a much nicer flow to it. Like, everything just leads right to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's all happenstance and circumstance that all of this would just all be happening so quickly. But it all makes sense in this, the, the circumstance of the story. 
Yes, because the Ethan ones, the reckless ones, there is a lot of just happenstance. Things just happen. Like, there's not a lot. Like, I don't expect this to be Batman and true detective work. You know what I mean? And labs and stuff like that. But with the with with the with the reckless themed ones, it's kind of like, oh, this happens. I beat a guy up, and things just fall into his lap. Where there was one or two like events that happened in this that you're like, okay, you need that one thing to just happen, like happenstance. But everything else was Anna working, you know what I mean? Like do, doing her sources and stuff like that. And I don't know, I just think this was for Ed, Ed Brubaker, who I love all his writing, I feel like the last couple recklesses were triples each time because I wasn't big on like the, the resolving of the case and how the case was laid out, but everything you said about the way this story flowed, this makes it the home run. You know, I'm totally with you. Yeah. And I, I as I think this, you know, they're all kind of sort of self-contained and there's just more or less rewards and stuff. If you've read everything mm-hmm. and like I said, you know, reading, uh, an Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips book is a reward in and of itself. <laughs> right. Um, but definitely check these out. If you've been sleeping on them for whatever reason, of course, I'm sure you can get them digitally. Um, these sadly don't seem to sell out. So I think they're still all available. I don't think the secondary market on these have gone through the roof just yet. No. And I don't think they ever will because I have a feeling like if, if Ed ever wants to like, we're on a first name basis, if he wants to reprint them, he just will. You know what I mean? Like if there's a need for them, you know? Right. And and listen, I hate to say it. You can probably find them uh, through somewhere that we're going to plug a little bit later on in the show. Uh, hmm. For well below uh, cover price. Right. Well below cover price, brand new. Like $10 less cover wow. price. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, tell them, you know, there, there'll be a way that you could tell them that we sent you, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this was really good. Um, You know, and obviously it's essentially like reading like five comic books, but it's like reading five really good comic books. Yes, it is. Yeah. So that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, If you head over to longboxheroes.com, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them sent to your home, uh, however it is, you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd is currently in the lead over me with five correct guesses. Uh, So let's get into what's coming out this week and what you think we're looking forward to. I'm looking over my or your list is the book you're looking forward to most. Nice House on the Lake, number eight. It is Nice House on the Lake, number eight. And that is probably the book that you are most looking forward to coming out this week as well. No, it's uh, Robin's number six, which I've never mentioned before. Yes, it's Nice House on the Lake, eight. Come on. Uh, I was starting to get worried because this book is now on its own schedule. It's not monthly. It's just kind of whenever, which is fine. I just hope Uh, the human target doesn't start doing that when it comes time. But go ahead. (laughs) Um, But I was starting to get afraid because if it was delayed one more week, like the fourth week of the month for April is a monster. It's like all heavy hitters, you know? Yep, it is. And it would have had human target if it was on the if it was still around. Yeah. 
Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and currently uh, taking the place of Todd and Joe Have Issues is the Silver Standard. And I don't remember, I don't know if it made air on Mark Cole's Winter Palace this past week, but I gave him the pitch. Uh, and he he agrees with us that The Flash does, in fact, have the best rogues gallery in all of comics. Mm-hmm. Sadly, he agrees with you that Batman has the second best, if we're using oh. The Flash as the best. Why is it sad that he's right? Well, it's sad that he agrees with you, whether oh, okay. he's right or wrong. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what we're attempting to do. Todd feels that Batman is the second best rogues gallery in all of comics. I feel as though Spider-Man is the second best rogues gallery in all of comics. Um, and we are pitting the dregs of those rogues galleries against each other and letting you vote on them head to head through a big giant tournament style bracket that a friend of the show, Grinch McScrooge, put together for us. And the results are in from last week. And sadly, um, my pick, Shriek, does not move on, but Captain Stingeree does. Right. The Stingeree. Yes, the Kabuki Crow himself. <laughs> right. All right. So, uh, and again, because the tournament was like a random draw of how everything kind of got matched up with itself, you know? Mm-hmm. It would have been great if we had this uh, particular one uh, go up against the previously in the thing um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. But like I said, things just don't work out perfectly that way. You know, I stacked mine from weakest to strongest. Like, right, my but then they were one... kind of like randomized. Um, you know what I mean? Me, I I just did. I like when I, the number wise, like if the in the one spot I put my. My what I thought was the lamest character, and then I worked it down that way, and that's how a bracket's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's the way you did it, but I don't remember how I did things. Oh uh, well, but go ahead. Sorry, my mind don't work so good no more. <laughs> right. Uh, so my pick this week in our heads up battle is a duo, sticks and stones, Todd. Right. Uh, so uh, sticks. Uh, is a very frail man in a tuxedo uh, who had who was a former homeless man that a scientist did experiments on and granted him a death touch uh, where he could kill anything with just his touch. Ooh. Stone, on the other hand, looks like your standard 90s comic book character, big muscles, big guns. And he's got the Cyclops-style face mask thing where his hair is sticking out the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the twist, Todd, Ooh. Stone is the scientist who experimented on sticks and turned him into the monster that he is. Oh. So they they are assassins for hire. Uh, and they, are, they run afoul of Spider-Man. Even so much so... At one point, Styx is giving a, as they call in the business, a visual fall over Venom that uh, Styx uses their death touch on Venom, and it causes the symbiote to separate from Eddie Brock, but it just (gasps) turns out to be the symbiote was stunned or something like that. It was a bunch of nonsense, but it was like a big cliffhanger that Styx and Stone went over on um, Venom. 
In their next appearance, though, they are bested by Cardiac, uh, someone who people have reached out to me and are sad that I don't have him on my list. But Cardiac is more of an anti-hero leaning toward hero. He's not really so much as a villain, per se. So he is pretty lame. He has, like, a blue and white, like, shock-looking armor with, like, hockey pads and a big giant stick that shoots blue electricity. He's pretty lame. Um, But Sticks and Stone um, then are not seen again after that appearance in a 1991 comic book. Until 2006, Todd. Right. Where they get the worst fate that could befall a Spider-Man villain. Is there now a Deadpool villain? Oh. And to be as on the nose as possible, Sticks now looks like a man who's made out of sticks, but still has the same power of the death touch. Mm Mm-hmm. And Stone Todd, do you want to guess what Stone looks like now? Does he look like a stone? He looks like a giant rock man with mm. guns. Oh. Uh, suffice to say, they showed up in an, an issue of, like, Deadpool team-up. Deadpool made fun of them, and that was the last time they were seen. Right. But, hey, um, you, when, you, when you have a death touch, Assassin's not a bad job, Joe. Right, except if you're bad at your job. Well, I don't know, but I like to think that they break bones, Joe. Mm. Uh, but, and as you said, uh, you know, the worst fate imaginable makes you lame becoming a Deadpool villain. How good did that work for you last round, Joe? Well, I have faith this time, you know, uh, okay. fifth time's the charm, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, would you like to hear about my villain, Joe? Yes, please. My villain is, and I know you're going to be, don't be scared when I say his name, um, is Glassman. That's right, Glassman. Some of his gimmicks include using glass, <laughs> stuff like glass marbles, and he to make you trip, and he uses like, uh, he blows glass to trap Batman in a big glass bubble, um, and to hide his facial features he wears a glass helmet that like distorts everything yeah that real protective substance glass so when you get smacked in the noggin it shatters and cuts your face all open um basically this character was someone is killing uh people with poisoned you can you guess what they poison joke to, to kill people with Poisoned glass? Yes, it was poisoned glass. Um, in, of all places, a town called Glass Town. So he goes, so Batman goes to Glass Town to help, and he finds out that the three people who were killed were, uh, were, were ending their contract at the glass factory in Glass Town, and they were going to a, a rival glass place, and the owner threatened to kill them all, kill them all. It was an architect, uh, an astronomer, and a car dealer, or a car maker. So it's like, oh, they got the first two, and the car dealer's the only one left. So Batman stakes it all out. And in the end, do you know who the killer was, Joe? No, not the crazy man who threatened to kill all of them. It was the car maker for some reason. Um, and just so you know, they later found the crazy uh, glass maker. Uh, he he was in the woods being crazy, and he's okay now. And he teamed up with the new glass maker, and they have a bigger company now or something. So the car maker ends up getting discovered. Batman goes to fight him in the glass factory. There's a shining light on a reflective glass. 
And Joe, don't you know, he ends up tripping and falling to his death in a glass furnace. And Batman says he killed with glass and now he was killed by glass. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is this is the worst. This is absolutely there's and nothing never came back. That's it. One glass man appearance. Never again, Joe. So when your weapon of choice is glass, you're pretty lame. I I will say this, you poo-poo glass, mm-hmm. uh, but I will say, don't they make bulletproof glass? Aren't car windshields made out of a nigh-impervious glass? Right. Uh, glass is the, you know, and glass can be turned into sand. There was a, issues of, of Spider-Man where Sandman was able to turn his body from sand into glass and become much more deadly. I think the problem is great Great gimmick for your guy. Poor execution. I think if we had more appearances of him, he would have been a much more formidable foe. But on paper, I think your guy works. Just looking at a picture of him, I you know, you'll see the picture that I have. It's literally the only picture you could find of him online. <laughs> right. He looks pretty cool. Sure he does. <laughs> and you know what? And I'm going to give him the biggest ringing endorsement of all. Uh... He's cut from the same cloth as a Dick Tracy villain. Oh, definitely lame. <laughs> definitely lame. But yeah, so like I don't some know. of the other great Dick Tracy villains: flat top, the brow, itchy, <laughs> big boy, <laughs> and the rest. That's right, prune face. And now I'm Dick Tracy. But anyway. So the poll will go up Wednesday around noon. We'll have the link to the uh, picture, of course, so you can see these uh, fools in their beautiful uh, glory. And you make the vote to see who moves on to the next round. Right. I think this one's going to be as smooth as glass. (laughs) Well, not all glass is smooth. Again, sometimes it's rough. And listen, I will just say, is there a glass museum in upstate New York? Yes. Is there a sticks and stones museum anywhere in the world? Absolutely not. But I did see sticks and stones play the the arena in Philadelphia. So, <laughs> Dennis D. Young, this is not. I will say, <laughs> right? I they come sail away, you know. But anyway, anyway, uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out our store. Uh, It's the link there right underneath the banner. You can get uh, shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, You can also sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. The link is right there. As little as a dollar a month is going to get you two bonus shows from Todd and myself every month. Uh, One, previewing the past, the reason that Diamond has increased the price of their catalog, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog, uh, like I said, we're looking at 1992 stuff, man. We're right at the cusp of the big explosion in the world of comic books. Image just came out. Spawn launched two months ago. Savage Dragon just launched. Next month, Wildcats launch. So uh, if this is the stuff of comic books you remember, come along with us. Because not only do you get to hear us podcast about them, that dollar a month also gets you the scans of those catalogs as well. We have all of 91 and everything up to 92 currently. A smattering of 90. I'll get back to that eventually. 
And also uh, Mark Pirro, uh, independent filmmaker, uh, some of the more one of the more quirky independent filmmakers. We had such a good time talking about a Polish uh, vampire in Burbank last year. We turned it into our movie podcast for this year. And uh, on After Dark this week, we actually even have an update on the ongoing Mark Bureau website uh, opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, with those shows, like it's a dollar a month, it's going to get you those two shows and all the previews catalogs. $5 a month gets you all of those shows two weeks before everyone else. Gets you Longbox Heroes two days, or Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. And uh, sometimes it gets you the show a couple, two, three minutes early. Even if you're just signed up for our Patreon, you don't even have to pay any money. Sometimes this show comes out a, eh, like hour or so early before it comes out of the main feed, you know? Right. Uh, also, another way that you can help us out is by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon banner at the top of the page at Longbox Heroes. It is an affiliate link. It does not cost you anything extra. Uh, any extra shekels that we're taking out of Jeff Bezos's pockets, no one better to give them to than us. Like I said, Amazon calls it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. And uh, that is maybe the location where I saw the previous three uh, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Reckless uh, hardcovers at 15 bucks a clip. So, you know, share the wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this week include uh, somebody purchased a Karate Kid 80s martial arts movie Miyagi Do It Again vintage adult t-shirt. Ooh, was it you? No, it was not me. Uh, somebody purchased the Lego Marvel mech armor building kits of both Wolverine and the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody purchased a Logitech MX Master 3 Advanced Wireless Mouse. Mm-hmm. Wasn't me for my laptop. No. Uh, and somebody also purchased Sweaty Rocks, which I think is the brand. Uh, women's Boho Floral Print V-Neck beach shorts romper jumpsuit with belt Mm. uh one thing i notice missing from that and if you're listening and you purchase this does that have pockets or not that is key it's a big thing for women's clothing to have pockets in them these days right uh somebody also purchased a uh harajuku gothic mini skirt as well Ooh. So thank you, anyone and everyone, for all of your purchases, whether it be this week, this month, this year, or ever, through the Amazon affiliate link. It is much appreciated. Right. And I think, Todd, other than some TV shows, that's all we got, right? Right. No art attacks, so. All right. So let's get into, first, since it's what aired first, and it's the oldest thing in my notes, uh, Moon Knight Episode 3. Right. Uh, as we last left our intrepid schizophrenic, uh, Mark slash Stephen slash Conchu, uh, they woke up in Egypt uh, on the trail of Arthur, who now has the scarab and uh, is working to. And again, I apologize, I'm going through my notes here. Uh, working to bring Amit back to life, right? Mm-hmm. And while we see that, um, we also see, and again, my handwriting is very bad, so I do apologize. Right. What character? Maybe I can help you. 
Uh, who's the uh, female lead in this? Layla. Layla. So we see Layla talking to someone who has a knowledge of both Layla and her relationship with Mark as she is having some documents falsified so that she is able to tra- travel to Egypt as well, uh, obviously to stop Arthur from what he is doing, but also to possibly help Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so at one point, uh, she ends up taking... Uh, Mark slash Stephen to meet up with the other representatives of the other gods, right? Right. So that they could assist him in his quest to stop Arthur. But they also bring Arthur here. And before Arthur could answer for his very clear and obvious sins, he immediately turns things around and exposes what is going on with these split personalities inside Mark and Steven. Obviously taking the heat off himself, putting the heat on our titular Moon Knight, and that, of course, draws into question the other gods as well of whether or not Kanchu is making the correct decision here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in an attempt to locate where Arthur is, Kanchu uh, does use his powers to create an eclipse, uh, which does help throw Arthur off of what he is doing. But also, Layla mentions that uh, she knows someone who has uh, the, what's the sarcophagus that they're looking for? I can't think of the name of the the, the person, uh, but they right. need it for, for a clue to where the uh, Ahmet's uh, yes. tomb is buried. So uh, it's Senfu sarcophagus. This guy, Mogart, has it. Uh, that she knows because he deals in stolen artifacts and so forth. They go to him. Mark, Stephen is acting all squirrely. Um, They had a very bad cover story going into this that immediately falls apart under the first question that they're asked. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they have to take a piece off of the sarcophagus, fold it in a certain way that only Stephen knows how to do. So Mark has to relent to let Stephen do this. And it shows a map of the stars, but obviously it's the map of the way that the stars looked on the day that this was done. So Khonshu again uses his powers alongside Mark Steven to attempt to recreate what it looked like in the sky when this was created so they could match things up, so they could find where Ahmed is buried without the scarab and stop Arthur from what he is doing. However... Yeah. This final power play from Kanchu is what results in Kanchu being entrapped into a little statue and thus Mark Steven possibly losing the powers of the Moon Knight, which is going to make their journey that much more difficult. Right, because he says earlier, like, try to do whatever you're doing without my healing armor kind of a deal. Yes. Um, but uh, one thing I would like to add is that it seems that Mark Spector, Mark Spector slash uh, Steven has a third personality running around because early on when Steve and uh, uh, Mark's trying to hunt down information, like he wakes up, like he's traded with Steven. He's like, and there's a dead guy at his feet. And he's like, why did you do this? Steven? He's like, I didn't do that. He's like, you did that. And he's like, I-, I didn't do that. So I'm like, I'm guessing that, that we're going to find out that he has more personalities kind of a deal. Like that part, I kind of liked to see uh, Mark, disoriented but the two things that you mentioned the the meeting of the gods i totally hated for the most part other than anton being uh not anton uh arthur being a jerk and turning it back on mark 
Um, just because I was talking with, with this with Adam, and he goes, the reason this is is because they tell him the first time you're taken over by a god, it's going to be weird. You're not going to be able to handle it. But all the avatars are there, and they're when the gods possess them, they're talking like normal people. And Mark's like doing the old biblical like god of ventures, kind of like you people don't know. And I'm like, seems really, really weird. And I get that explanation. My explanation is they were trying to show that Khonshu's out of touch, that these new gods that walk these other gods that walk among our people and notice them, they know how to act and talk like normal people where Khonshu's still doing a God bit from 2000 BC, if that makes any sense. And I didn't, it just stuck out as terrible for me. And then the other thing that I didn't like is like Mark and Layla going to that guy's house. And it, to me, this scene makes them look like the bad guys because they go to the house, they, they completely lie and then they go in and they mess with this guy's uh, priceless collection. It would be like me and you showing up at Adam's house and going, you know what? We need to see your Azrael collection. Can we go to your, you know, details and look at your Azrael collection? All right. I don't want you anywhere near me, but I'm going to go in here and start bending things and breaking things. And then they pull guns on them. Like, what are you doing? Like you're, you're, you're ripping stuff and, and bending stuff. And then he ends up, fighting them all and what killing a bunch because he came to their house. I don't know. It makes moon Knight look really bad to me. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. What I just said, you know what I mean? Yes, it does. So, but I, this, this was my least favorite of all the episodes. I was kind of like checked out in the middle of this one. Uh, so here's, um, my biggest problem with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where they're watching the TV show Night Boat? Yes. And no matter where Night Boat had to go, there was always an inlet or a fjord. <laughs> yep. Okay. So in this episode, no matter where they went, there was always a mirror or a really shiny piece of glass or a really shiny back of a street sign. Because, you know, those are really super shiny. Mm -hmm. Um. It just seemed as though no matter where they went in this episode, there was always something shiny so they could do that inner monologue discussion-y thing. Right. Um, and I get doing it a couple times in the first two episodes to establish it, but this episode was way over the top with it. Yeah, it just happened to like, and it would distract Steven or it would distract Mark enough yes. to- you know, to, to, to ruin whatever they were doing. It like, it just seems like too much happenstance all the time. I'm with you. Like I said, I liked the episode. It was fine. But again, when you have so much output and so little time being fine may not cut it. You know, you're lucky you only six episodes, right? Yeah. And like I said, they might be adding more personalities on top of it. And I don't know. I'm starting to feel, remember when we talked about like a few episodes ago that we were going to get like, like remember when Steven was kind of black blanking out and we were going to get Mark's story. Yes. I don't think we're getting any of that now because we're no. already the third episode and they're putting layers on top of this now. I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we'll see. I'm willing to not judge it as much, but uh, I don't know. This may be my least favorite of the Marvel TV shows as when it ends. 
So we had something else to watch this week as well. That's right. Uh, to make Joe happy, uh, Doctor Who came back with their one of their 2022 specials, Legend of the Sea Devils, one of the last, the penultimate of uh, the 13th Doctor's run on the show. Um, so it starts out in, 18, in the 1800s in a Chinese village on the shore. This woman pirate shows up and goes to the statue that these people, that this uh, Chinese guy has been, you know, he's, it's his job to protect it. And she ends up going, busting it up, looking for something, thereby releasing the sea devil and the, uh, ends up killing a bunch of the people in the village. And the guy who was, you know, to, to guard it, he told the son, if anything happens to me, it's, it falls to you. And he goes and he wants to kill her. So the doctor and, and Yaz and uh, Dan show up in period clothing, which is kind of weird because they usually don't do that. They just wander around in their everyday clothes. But uh, they end up like kind of fighting it. And she realizes that it's a sea devil. The sea devil realizes that she's the doctor kind of a thing. And he ends up having this hover boat, that, 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 that ship that goes away. So he ends up talking to the, to the, the female pirate. She's like, well, I, I need this treasure that I'm trying to find. And that was the answer in the statue. It's somewhere. Um, so she ends up leaving. The doctor gets the idea to go back in time and find out where this lost treasure is. Uh, so they can go find it now and get her help. Dan and the son go and go with the female pirate. And from there, uh, they all meet up again and they find out that in the past, the old, the old pirate that had the treasure, he was, he was in league with the sea devil, but really he wasn't. And it just becomes really convoluted until the end that that pirate uh, sacrifices himself. So the female pirate can get her crew and family back that are ransomed. They beat the sea devils by putting them in a, in a singularity that they're not going to get out of for a long time. And then kind of Yaz and the doctor get their relation, mention their relationship. And the doctor says, I can never really be with anybody because I'm forever and I'm eventually going to get hurt and adventure over. And Dan call, gets a call from die and maybe he's going to get some, you know, relationship uh, healing from there. I'm going over this really fast because this, this episode was really boring um, I don't say that much about Doctor Who. It was a lot of, we don't, we're not going to do it. We're going to explain it so we don't have to do it. And then nobody's in the same shot together. Everything's green screen and CGI because this was all shot um, during the pandemic protocols and they didn't have many people. So it, it looks really bad. Um, and I was just bored to tears for an hour and however long this was uh i just want to get to the next episode at this point i'm pretty much guessing that you didn't care for the episode either it was fine mm -hmm. um it definitely as you mentioned felt more like a show or a tell don't show episode mm -hmm. um i thought most of the effects especially the effect in the main she devil was super lazy Mm -hmm. Um, it was a mask where like the mouth didn't move. I'm pretty sure that was actual CGI. And it didn't look good. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, a little bit too much cultural appropriation with maybe what the doctor and Yaz are wearing. Mm -hmm. Um, which is fine. You know, they're, they're in, you know, 18th century China, but then like they're dressed like that. And then Dan is dressed like a stereotypical, like Long John Silver pirate. Right. Um, but that was again, a rib. That was yeah. a rib by Yaz. So I kind of right. get that, you know? 
I get it, but like, you know, it's like, hey guys, let's go back in and like not like stand out like sore thumbs. But anyway. But then the adventure something goes wrong and the adventure starts, so they don't have time. I'm fine with all that, but go okay. ahead. Um like I said, it was okay. It felt like a like one of the more lazy adventures that mm-hmm. It's not as much thought-provoking or not much, like, there wasn't a lot of uh, meat on the bone for this one. No, there wasn't. Um, And I remember the last episode that we watched, it was very heavy on, like, well, you know, we all have known this whole time that the Doctor's in love with Yaz, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, have we? Like, it's been kind of subtle. Like, now right. it's a little bit more, like, hitting you over the head with it. And this episode was, like, really hitting you over the head with it, right? Right. Until at the end, the doctor, as you mentioned, relents and says, this is why we can never be together. But and if I, don't I think, could, yeah, right. if I could be with anybody, it would be you. You know what I mean? And I don't think Yaz seemed to care one way or the other. Right. It was very flat. I, I, I'm with you. That being said, Joe, seven stars. I will say your uh, your cohort and my uh, co-host on Ad Odds with Wrestling was burying it on social media. So maybe I had a negative connotation going into it before I even watched it. I'll tell you, he tweeted that live in front of me and I was upset. <laughs> we almost came to, Porch Talk almost came to blows, Joe. Good, you should have decked him and stepped on like an Azrael or something. Uh, I was going to steal stuff and put it in the in the group for 35 ship, whatever they wanted out of the Detolf. So do we have a date on the next one, which I think, is that the last one or the second to last one for uh, this current iteration of the Doctor? It's going to be the last one of this Doctor, and I don't know the date, but I I could kind of look it up if I had to, because it's coming for, I want to say, the 100th anniversary of the BBC. Um, They're doing like a centennial special like a BBC centennial special because next year is the 60th anniversary of Dr. Who and this, so they're going to have like uh, a bunch of TV that's going to be like celebrating the hundred years of BBC. So it's going to be wedged in there somewhere, but I'm guessing more towards, you know, the, uh, the end of the year. So another, maybe a Christmas special you're insinuating, right? Or maybe be slightly before that. Thanksgiving. I don't know, somewhere in there. I don't have an exact date, Joe. I'll get right. I'll get it to you when it happens. I need to know. I need to plan for more Doctor Who, you know? You got to get ready. You, I think you should not know about it. Then you'll be like waiting. Is like, is it Doctor Who yet? Where's Where's my Doctor Who? Where's my Doctor Who? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that was uh, the TV. That was the comics. That was the interview. A busy show, I'd say. Mm-hmm. A jam-packed show for you, the listeners. I totally agree. So, for Todd, this is Joe saying thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 602, Longbox Heroes. And we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network. 